All right. Good evening, everybody. Uh, happy Tuesday uh, is the first day of the month. And I think with December also brought a chill here in Indianapolis. So if you're in Indianapolis, I think you got some new weather today, but we are excited to be here. Uh, my name is David McGuire and I'm the principal at Tinley Summit Academy. Um, I'm here with some amazing educators and, and honestly doing something that I don't think many schools uh, do an awful lot. And so we are collaborating during this time, sharing resources. Um, something that was kicked off actually last spring uh, with the folks that's joined us who, who spearheaded an initiative in our city. And so now as we enter, for many of us, what I call phase three of virtual learning or remote learning, we're here again, um, talking through what we've learned the first time in the spring of last year and how we're trying to be better. And so just really excited and honored. And I did wanna say first, um, for us, uh, Tina and I, Tinley Summit, what a what an honor and privilege it is because not too often do you have schools um, that are high performing willing to open themselves up and share and collaborate. And so we're just appreciative that we have a school like Paramount in our city that is also leading the charge, but more importantly, they're open to collaborating and sharing. So uh, Tommy, for your leadership, thank you uh, for the opportunity and we're excited about diving in. So folks, it's gonna seem like a conversation just amongst us, but if you see at the bottom there, if you're in the comments, I hope you'll jump in uh, what state you're, you're in, your name and your position and where you're from. So hop in there and then we'll do Q&As here at the end. But first, we'll start off with a round of introductions. Again, I'm David McGuire, principal at Tinley Summit Academy located in Indianapolis. And I'll kick it off to uh, Tina Cowan. Hi, I'm uh, Tina Cowan and I am one of the assistant principals at Tinley Summit Academy. And I'm Tommy Reddick, CEO, Paramount Schools of Excellence. Uh, and, and just to tag in to what David said, uh, it's definitely not a one-sided affair. And we're pretty honored to also be on with Tinley and uh, be collaborating in our sector here in our state and around the country. So excited for that. And, and I'll shift it over to Kyle. Evening, everybody. Uh, my name is Kyle Beauchamp, and I'm the Chief Academic Officer for Paramount Schools. And I'll shift it over to her just to introduce herself. Hi, my name is Jess Monk. I'm the COO at Paramount, and I'll take you to Darius, our principal at Inglewood. Good evening, everyone. My name is Darius Sawyers, and I'm the principal of our third campus of PSOE at Paramount Inglewood, a fifth through eighth grade middle school in Indianapolis. Suppose now that you've had introductions, we're going to go through um, a series of, of topics that we have uh, talked about and things that we feel are important. We encourage you that as we're talking, if there's something that, that you uh, like, again, jump in the comments. If you have something along those lines to an approach that you're doing at your school, again, this is an open forum. We want to share resources and collaborate. Again, this is an online collaboration. And so with our first one, uh, we'll start off with Paramount. So we'll do a little uh, alternating. So they'll, they'll leave the first one, then uh, we'll share. And so our first one is, it's very simple. So what does virtual instruction look like? Yeah, I'll dive in on this uh, on our end and just say, you know, from a, a, a top level view of virtual instruction, I think one of the key points to, to raise for parents, communities, for schools, is that there needs to be a daily schedule that mirrors regular academics in an on-campus environment. And I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in, in the fear of the situation within the pandemic that, oh, now we're going into virtual learning. All right, how long are we going to teach during a day? All right, let's do two hours of teaching, go. And you know the structure of that process needs to be a lot better defined. And, and I'll 
tee it up to Kyle to talk a bit more about that on our end. Thanks, Tommy. I just want to start by saying something you all already know. This is this is complex and uncharted territory for all of us. This is really challenging. It's hard work. Uh, we're still learning. We're all learning, and we're excited to be here tonight to share some best practices, and we sure hope there's some things that you can glean from us and from Tinley that you can integrate into your own systems. Um, I'm going to kind of take it back a little bit to the spring when we were in, I liked, I liked how David said phase three of this process. When we were in phase one of the process um, back in the spring, there was, a, there was a lot we learned. We felt like we had good systems in place. Um, we got an early start on the preparation process for virtual learning. But when we came out of virtual learning as data-driven as we stayed, and as much as we supported our families and our students and our teachers and our support staff through the process, um, we knew that we had a ways to go. And the first point of reference in terms of making those improvements was to go to our teachers and our support staff and survey them and, and, um, and really break down that data and take a look at um, where we need to go from here in case we were going to be in virtual, which we have been throughout the course of the 2021 school year. So we were able to get some outstanding feedback and a lot of what we're going to talk about today, starting with the uh, daily schedule, was born out of some really cool feedback and conversations we had with our teachers. They're on the front lines of this, as is our support staff, and um, we really listened and learned from them. Um, there's a couple things to consider um, when you're developing your daily routine. The first is and Tommy already kind of mentioned this, is we like to maintain as much consistency as possible. We all crave routine. Students crave routine. Teachers, staff, leaders, we all crave routine to a certain degree. Um, we tried to adapt as much of our systems as we possibly could to the virtual environment. Um, so that was a big part of what we wanted to do. So we really did a full-scale survey of our systems to say, all right, these are some things we can take into the virtual environment. And we really learned early on in the process that there's some pretty cool things that we can do with our system that work in this space. The second thing is when designing our daily schedule, we tried to find the right balance between rigor, um, you know, uh, the complexity of student work, you know, holding students to high expectations, but also making it sustainable for the child and the family. I think that's so important throughout this process is to make sure we're not overwhelming families, that they're a partner with us in this process. And we try to find it, strike that balance there in holding kids to high expectations, but also um, making it sustainable for the families. Uh, third thing is building in teacher planning time. This was absolutely born out of some of those surveys we did with our staffs early on. Um, it's so important to build in time for teachers to plan and to collaborate with each other. One of the biggest takeaways we got from our teachers out of our survey was that this felt really isolating to them. Um, so we wanted to create more authentic opportunities to allow them to um, collaborate with each other, uh, plan. Now we now plan across our district, across our network by grade level. So they have an opportunity not only to collaborate with teachers in their own departments, in their own buildings, but uh, amongst grade levels across our network. So that's, that's been really exciting. Uh, the last thing is, like Tommy said, we mirror our virtual programming after our, um, after our own model. So we want to make sure that um, everything we do in terms of instruction that we possibly can integrate into virtual learning, we are, we are doing. So David, if you could for me, uh, pull up the daily schedule. I'd like to kind of narrate through that a little bit. 
So we we broke our daily schedules down by K2, 3, 5, and 6A. And this really does mirror our academic day on campus pretty well. Um, the day starts out, and, and this is just K2, um, but a lot there'll be a lot of similarities between the three sectors. Um, the day starts out with, with something we call title time. It's a morning routine. Uh, students are, are, are logging on to the Google Classroom platform, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Um, they're, they're chatting with each other. They're getting some work done. They're working on um, you know, some, some uh, concepts they may have covered yesterday. There's a live lesson uh, that kicks off early in the morning at nine o'clock. One of the things that we did that we really learned in the spring is we scaled down the K2, so the lower elementary live lessons a little bit. Um, you know, I, I have a son that's in kindergarten and, you know, I, I saw him do a lot of whole class live lessons last year. And um, boy, it's adorable. It's cute. But um, I, I'm not so sure we were getting what we wanted to get out of those. So we're still doing them, just not to the same degree we're doing them at the upper elementary and middle school levels. So uh, we do one live lesson um, on Mondays that is followed immediately by our cycle of instruction with independent practice in ELA. We do another live lesson in the afternoon in math, followed by independent practice, some sort of a standards-based exit ticket. Uh, we also have specials integrated into the daily routine at all grade levels. That would be our um, extended core classrooms, art, music, PE, and Spanish. Um, and then, as you'll notice here, plenty of teacher work time. I think that's really important. Uh, another thing I wanted to name really quickly on the K2 side, um, we're doing a lot more with uh, small group live instruction with K2 and then also one-on-ones every week where they're being assessed um, in, in um, reading comprehension and fluency. We want to make sure that we're not just assessing students three times a year. We want to continue to aggressively monitor, um, especially at those early levels, um, those foundational reading skills to make sure those students are where they need to be. So um, those quick progress monitoring checks and assessments happen during those one-on-one um, -on -one sessions with their teachers weekly. We also leverage our instructional assistants for that just to not to burden the um, classroom teacher because that is an awful lot of work. Um, off to the right there, we, um, during the course of the year, had about 50% of our kids, our, our, our families and, and students choosing virtual, another 50% 50, 50 on campus. So we were having our virtual staff, so we kind of split up our staff to just support our virtual students, um, still in observing our on-campus teachers um, once a week. We felt that was very, very important um, in terms of aligning instruction between on-campus and virtual, but now we're all virtual, so we're, we're certainly in the same boat. So um, David, are you able to scroll down? I can talk really quickly through three, five and six, eight. As you'll notice, the big difference here is uh, there's there's more live lessons. Uh, there's opportunities to um, to get live lessons done twice a day, Monday through Thursday. We wanted to make sure we intentionally built in Fridays as time for um, uh, office hours, assessments, and make sure teachers can work ahead. So Fridays are a little more flexible with our staff. In, in middle school, it's very similar. If you just want to roll down to that real quick, that'll be the last thing I cover here. On the middle school side, there's live lessons, but we're departmentalized in middle school. So um, the live lessons are a little more scattered. I think if you go down to the next slide, there's our live lesson schedule, which is a little more robust um, for our middle school to make sure our students are getting 
um, all their departmental lessons in ELA, math, social studies, and science. So that's the day that that's how the daily routine works, and we we feel good about where we're at in terms of um, how that aligns to our normal traditional routine. Coming out of that, uh, I think just touch on a couple points uh, about the difference between parent expectations and obligations, and and I'll let Jess uh, run with that one real quick. Yeah, one thing we noticed when we started our virtual program in the the fall was we had teachers getting an influx of frustrated and angry phone calls from families that they didn't necessarily get before. And so we've been really mindful on how we prepare teachers for that and then also, you know, helping them to react in a supportive way because there are a lot of stressors for families right now, like unfamiliar tech, feelings of frustration, them worried about their kids falling behind and all of that comes from a really real and, and good place because they want their kids to succeed and they just don't necessarily know how to do that in this new environment. And so we've really been mindful on making sure there's a, a differentiation between obligations and expectations of parents. There are a lot of things that we would like for them to do, but really what we need parents to do, make sure your kids log in, um, just like you make sure they come to school. It's the same kind of thing. It's just logging in is like taking your kid to school in a virtual environment, making sure kids finish all of their assignments as best they can, and then making sure that they call if they need help. So we're not expecting parents to have all of the answers to be you know, a computer technician to fix the router, to, to do all of the things that are necessary for a student to be successful. But we, we do want them to call when they need help. So making sure they have those tools and that they feel comfortable to call and ask for help um, with the appropriate people. So that's kind of the paramount perspective on what virtual instruction looks like. I think we're really curious from the Tinley side, what you guys have going there. Yeah, so I'll kick it off. I think we started the same, uh, the same approach you did. We, we had an idea in the spring put together and we're like, we're gonna get everything that we would do during the school day. And we're gonna do it the exact same way online. Um, the first pushback we got was from the students. The scholars had more of the pushback and then it went to the parents. And then I think the teachers had the pushback but didn't really speak up yet. But I think they, they found the power from the students and the parents and said, hey, we gotta really look at this again. Um, but like everybody, it was new. And we, we were just trying to keep the momentum that we had started. And so we said, we're going to jump right into it. So um, we don't have uh, the copy, but I, Cowan, uh, Tina Cowan, when she talks about the schedule, she created it. It's her baby. She knows it like the back of her hand. But I think one of the things we wanted to do was when we looked at our curriculum, and we'll talk about curriculum, but we said, what are the key components for each grade level that must have, that, what are our must-haves? And so we have some must-haves, whether it's virtual or whether it's in person, that we have to do. And so when we identify those must-haves, that's how we built our schedule. So I'll let Cowan take it uh, more in detail what our schedule looks like for our K-6 scholars. Yeah, so we knew that this time the schedule had to be different. Um, we were, everything happened so quickly in the spring, we were not prepared for our scholars to do our curriculum, especially in um, K-2, because at the time they did not have technology. And so um, as we reflected back now that they do have technology, some of the issues had been, what about those developmental skills, getting the phonics um, and just being able to use the curriculum because they came back and there we are noticing gaps and parents had concerns as well. So. 
I had started planning even in May, looking forward into the fall, thinking if we go virtual again, what's that going to look like? And um, just in collaboration with instruction partners who we team up with through the year, um, we knew that we were going to follow our curriculum. Um, so I started working on a schedule. Again, we wanted to provide some consistency. Um, I think we had kind of the opposite with our K-1. Um, we we needed them to have these live lessons with the teachers because everything is so hands-on for them in class. So they needed to be able to see things. Um, so we actually have a lot of live going on because the other thing we saw is that once they log off, it's hard to get them to log back on. Um, so we start our day at 8.15 and they have everything's in 30 minute blocks. And so they have their phonics and they have um, literature with some writing and then they're off screen for about two hours and then come back on um, for about an hour, um, an hour and 20 minutes for math. And their day is done by 2.30. Um, the off screen time that happens mid morning, uh, teachers are then pulling small groups. We use Dibbles. And so our teachers are progress monitoring even through virtual. They have a calendar they follow. So they're setting up individual times to do that um, assessments because we just wanna make sure we have a very clear pulse on where our kids are. Um, the other reason we wanted to make sure we we're following the curriculum is that um, we're hoping that we will be coming back and we wanna be able to just pick up where we left off. So K-1 follows that same schedule. It got a little bit trickier in the grades where we have departmentalized. Um, in second and third grade, we have three teachers that share that responsibility and um, we wanted to make sure they got to all three teachers. So all of their um, in their core learning happens in the morning, and then they have um, off-screen time. Again, there are some individual supports, but their afternoon is then built in. Each the teachers rotate for second grade supports, third grade supports. We're making sure we're doing some um, I read skills with our third graders um, and things like that. So all of that is happening in the afternoon. Fourth grade was able um, to pretty much follow their same schedule that they do during the day. And then with fifth grade, fifth and sixth grade, they're departmentalized as well. And theirs was pretty, pretty on point. The only thing we didn't work into a um, daily schedule was the specials time that takes place on Friday. Our teachers don't do any live lessons on Friday. This is a time for them to do um, planning. Um, like I said, our day ends between 2.30 and 2.45, and since teachers are contracted to 4.30, they have a good amount of time to get their um, planning done. And then um, on Fridays also, they can touch base with any scholars that they were concerned about. This is also a time to reach out to scholars that were not um, in attendance, but it's definitely more rigorous than what we did in the spring. But we're also, um, I think the teachers were, feel more comfortable because they're going forward with the curriculum. They aren't, I haven't heard as many questions as, well, what happens when we come back and we haven't covered this standard and we haven't done this? Where are we going to pick up in the curriculum? They just seem a little more confident to be moving forward. Um, and I do just have to say, our, I've been so proud of especially our K-1 where it's tricky with those live lessons. These teachers have set some amazing expectations and it's so awesome to get in those classrooms and just see the kids engaging um and following the expectations the teachers have but still feeling like a part of the class so i've just been really proud of them so i just wanted to shout that out is there anything you wanted me to cover 
that I missed. Before. No, that, that was it. So we did have a question and, and thanks for everybody that hopping in the comments. I want to name some. If you're on the YouTube page, it, it is requiring you to make a YouTube account to comment, which is free. So I uh, hope you would do that. But if not, if you have a Facebook page, if you go to Tinley Summit Academy on Facebook, that video is streaming live there as well. So you can pop in the comments. So we did have a comment that was sent to me via text. A uh, good friend of, of both of our uh, both schools, uh, Tina Seymour, she asked a really good question and it's it centered around, and I have it pulled up here. I want to make sure I capture it correctly. She wanted us to talk about how we manage the logistics with small group instruction. Um, I think that's that's the big thing. And so it's funny, in our leadership call today, we were talking about our MTSS program. And if one of those interventions was for a kindergarten or first grade student to get OG, what would that look like? And, and what uh, staff member will we deploy to do that? And so we have uh, instructional assistants, uh, we have instructional assistants, but we also have our special teachers. So as mentioned with our special teachers not teaching, they are assigned um, a schedule to go into a classroom and support. So while they're in there to do chat support and making sure they fill questions, if need be prompted by the teacher, the teacher can create breakout rooms where that teacher, um, along with the other teacher, can split the class in half and do small groups. We also utilize office hours. And so what we learned in uh, iteration number three was we have to also structure office hours. We can't just blanketly say, office hours is this time. So what we told teachers to do is look at your student roster, look at students where they were during the live lesson, identify the gaps again quickly. So we're asking a lot of teachers in the moment to identify gaps, identify pitfalls, and then in that moment say, okay, I need one, two, three, four. I need you guys at this time to come with me in a small group. And then that teacher in that hour, two hours that they have off, they're spending some of that time planning what that small group instruction would look like. And then they're hopping on with students to close that gap. Again, what teachers are learning um, it's not what we will ask them to do necessarily in the classroom. Typically, small group will happen for us at the end of the day or possibly we, we have the next day. So we're asking them in the moment to identify those gaps, um, clo close those gaps and create those small groups. And so we're using office hours. And as Tina mentioned, because we don't have school on Friday, um, teachers do have a block from 8 to 1130 every Friday that they can say, OK, I'm going to pull some small groups this time. And in that block, you can get two to three small group instruction in as well. So um, we're, again, it's a process that we're learning, but we have teachers right now on the spot um, managing that small group. It's not perfect. It's not ideal, but it's still an opportunity to make sure that students who need that one on one, especially our SPED scholars and our ELL scholars get that. So uh, the group from Paramount, how, how are you guys managing that small group instruction? Very similar, David, and I love what you had to say about um, leveraging other support staff to help with that process. I think it takes it takes a village to to support students in this environment. So I just I, I really appreciate that you said that. Um, very similar uh, fashion. We are pulling kids during live at the end of live instruction, and a lot of that is based on scanning for students who may not have fully understand or grasped that concept, keeping them on for a reteach, and to, and I'll talk a little about this a little bit more later in our cyclical instruction explanation, but. Um, keeping them on for reteach. And then we also have our progress monitoring that runs off of our data. It's very data driven um, and they're homogenous groups so that students are getting what they need. And th generally those groups are about four to five and that certainly goes with our MTSS program. Before we move to the next topic, I'll touch briefly on the communication piece. And so again, um, or I'm sorry, parent obligations. We have a simple saying, uh, the, the first one is, we tell our parents, relax. I think it, it begins and ends with relax. And then we also tell them, I need you. And I think, Jess, you hit on a point. I need you to be the parent, not the teacher. 
So I need you to make sure your child gets logged on. They're in a conducive space for learning. Um, they have the materials, um, whatever that is. So as Tina mentioned, we did have to send some uh, packets home with uh, kindergarten and first grade because it lies to the curriculum. So making sure they have that, making sure they have a sharpened pencil, making sure that they have on appropriate clothing and they ate breakfast, all those things that you would do as you were putting them in the car. Um, we want you to do the same thing. We, we tell, they don't have to put on their uniform. While we do have some parents that make their students put on their uniform, but we just ask you to be the parent, not the teacher. Um, and let us do the teaching part and then work alongside of us as we collaborate with this. But the first thing we always tell is relax. And so for parents that are listening, um, whether you're a teacher and you're a parent, as, as Kyle mentioned, right, uh, you, relax. So in that space with your child, we just tell you to relax, be the parent, not the teachers, and, and work with us. And so that's that's our big obligation. I think it, it aligns to the same thing that the group from Paramount said as well. Um, so we'll 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 switch gears and, and we'll kick this off. So communication. <laughs> I think um, if there's if there's one thing that I believe everyone did in the spring was over communicate because we had to. We 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 had to. We had to be transparent about what it is that we're doing. We had to be transparent by saying, okay, this is new. Um, so ask you to give us some grace, uh, some, some patience, and, be, and show some empathy as we work to, through this. But that didn't change that we were going to be relentless in figuring this out. Um, but we communicated that. So what we did was um, the platform that we're on, uh, StreamYard, was birthed from the plan of, of how we could communicate. Uh, Tina knows that I'm big with this tech stuff and the podcasting. And, and so what we did leading up uh, in the spring was Tina, myself, and our other sister principal, Kyle Gavin, uh, we did a series of virtual chats uh, where we just hopped on, told parents, you can get on if you want. If not, we'll share it and we'll just talk about what our plan is and, and allow them to hear what we're thinking um, and best communicate. We use Class Dojo. Uh, we beefed up our social media. Um, we continue to use our views from the top, which is our nightly newsletter, to communicate schedules, schedule changes, uh, teacher changes, whether we move some uh, teachers around or, or move kids around or what we were thinking. And, and then we had um, a series of chats with each grade level. And we said, what is it that you need during this time? Um, from a communication standpoint, from a virtual learning, what is it that you need? And, and, and Paramount hit it earlier when they said, we had to take that feedback, constructive as it was, um, Harsh as it was, tough as it was, we had to take it, internalize it, and go back to the drawing board if need be. Um, but communication for us, um, we are communicating every day. Um, and our teachers have even now, we had a second and third, our second and third grade uh, teacher leader, Ms. Hogan, sent this phenomenal Facebook post um, about you know expectations and things they wanted to know and just the impact that it got from our parents and, and how they were so appreciative because they, they were tired of you know, seeing the post from Mr. McGuire all the time. And <laughs> So to hear from the teachers and now teachers are saying, you know, let me communicate my message as well. And so now that the communication is, is gone from the admin to the teachers, parents are seeing that, OK, the school is on the same page. They're speaking the same language. I, I believe that our parents and, and they're, they're in here, they're listening. And so popping if I'm wrong, I think they will tell you they know exactly what's going on all the time. Um, and sometimes it changes in a matter of 45 minutes because. I like to say things and then I go to Calvin and she says, wait a minute, <laughs> we got to make an adjustment. And, and, you know, but I own it, you know, and, and as a leader, you have to be okay with that. And, and so we make those quick changes and, our, and our, our parents know that. So 
they know they're they're always on their toes, but they know we're going to give them the information they need. And so um, it's nothing sexy uh, and nothing brand new. But I think the biggest thing I will say is transparency. Uh, we try to be as transparent as possible about what we're doing um, and, and how we're educating the, uh, their children. So uh, group and parent, you guys have uh, uh, um, some great things you're doing. So we'll jump in. Um, I think it is uh, Tommy, that's you, right? For communication. Yeah, I'll take that. Um, you know, one quick story before I dive into what, what we did and what we're doing is, gosh, you know, David was just describing how they got on and figured out some things on StreamYard. I was scrolling through Facebook at the start of the pandemic uh, as schools were shut down here and we're all figuring out what's going on. And I stumbled upon his live broadcast where they were just doing mic checks and talking back and forth informally and uh, not doing a lot in terms of education. They were just figuring it out. And I was transfixed because I was watching this thing happen going, this is cool. I, I don't know how they're pulling this off. This is tech that we haven't gotten that far down the river yet. But uh, I was immediately drawn in by the fact that you were doing a 30 to 45 minute sound check with your administration and live on Facebook. And my whole team heard about it. And it immediately started us thinking about how we can get out and start, to do it, start doing some live Facebook events. We had Darius doing live events probably two weeks after that. So kudos to you for, for giving us some of that inspiration. Um, one of the things we did early, and I agree with you, David, communication is messy. Uh, communication in a pandemic is, is flat out sloppy. Uh, the, you, you can communicate 24 seven and still have to change your communication plan 24 hours later. Like it's, there's no way to, to carve the smooth path with communication. So the, the point is how many of these battles can you win before you play? And, and that means how many, how many avenues of communication can we have open and can we have accessible and, and available for our parents and for our teachers, for our students? And that led us, uh, before we even started into the concept of call centers, and when we say call centers, we say 12 hours, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. access to one of our staff, no matter what, during the school week. Um, this was kind of a huge tenet that we stood on before we even opened up in virtual to say that uh, we know there's going to be questions, we know there's going to be changes, there's going to be dynamic flexibility in what's going on, and our parents are going to need a way to figure out how to navigate this. And the best way is to call one of us and walk the walk with us and, and we'll help you through that. So the call center approach is ongoing. It's something we're, we're still using and, and committed to as we move forward in a virtual state. The other thing is creating strong routines. I think you said it really well when you said that you've got your your regular routine ways for parents to access communication and changes to your school. And if there isn't a, a routine in place that parents know, hey, on Tuesday nights, I'll go figure out what's going to happen on Wednesday. Or on Friday, I'm going to know everything that's going to happen for the following Monday because the school always does their updates on X time and X day. I think that kind of routine is, is super strong. Um, and I'll hand it off to Kyle and then Jess to talk about uh, you know, how to intervene in communications and, and some of those communication plans. Sure. So I think at the launch of uh, virtual learning back in phase one in the spring, um, we wanted to make sure parents felt comfortable. And that's certainly something that we still want now as we launch back into virtual learning. I'd like to go over our welcome call frameworks and process. David, if you could um, pull that up for us, please. I can, I can narrate us through that briefly. Uh, the welcome call was something that we designed as a, as a leadership team and teachers to um, really kind of dive into what parents are going to need to feel comfortable with supporting their, um, their child during, during virtual learning. So um, we continue to make these calls until every day until the parent feels comfortable with the process. So eventually, and trust me, this happened, parents were telling our teachers, 
Don't call anymore. We got this. But that's what we want to hear. We want to make sure that we get to that point and then we'll scale back the communication and use other modes of communication. Um, but we still try to call two times a week in addition to email and other forms of communication, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Some things that we cover in the welcome call process, uh, an explanation of uh, PSOE virtual learning, uh, explanation and navigation of Google Classroom. We also give some really cool one pagers out um, that narrate parents through some of these things, like even little things. We always say don't assume things. Um, don't assume that people uh, necessarily know how to work a Chromebook. So we have some tutorials available for that, but we want to make sure parents feel comfortable in even navigating those one pagers. Uh, an overview of the call center process, which Tommy kind of already talked about. And we want to make sure uh, they know they're a partner with us in this. Um, we're here to support and ensure students are learning and growing. We have very high expectations for this program, as we all should. Um, the last thing we do is a home Wi-Fi inventory. We make sure that um, any resources and supports that these families need, um, including potential hotspots, we can take care of for them. But uh, we, again, we just want to make sure that they, they feel comfortable throughout this process. And we'll continue to cover these things each day until they are. Jess, your thoughts on communication plans? Yeah, I really liked what David said earlier about just the relaxed message. I think anytime that we communicate with families and with students, if we come across as put together and we come across as relaxed and confident that everything's going to work out, then that's going to transfer over to families and then that's going to transfer over to kids and that's going to make them feel more confident in this new arena that they're trying to navigate. And one of the ways that we did that early on was to have a solid communications plan in place. Um, so really, we just update it with all the new what ifs for both staff and families. So, you know, what if a student doesn't log in? What if they have repeated absences? What if families need help accessing materials? And that just kind of goes on and on and on. Um, and then we make sure to include in that plan. So who to notify? Um, how do we dispense the information? What format is it in? How many formats is it in? When does it go out? How often does it go out? Who's responsible for it? What's the oversight? How do we talk to non-English speaking families? How do we talk to families that don't have technology aside from their student devices? What are just all of the different ways to make sure that the messaging is the same across all of our schools to all of our families to make sure they feel supported? And we just got a, a question I'd love to address if you don't mind, David from Onder, um, talking about the call center and how we made sure different people were responding to the same number remotely. Were we forwarding calls to different people at different times using Google Voice? Um, really lo-fi at first, uh, we, we identified an individual number, just got cell phone numbers put in place for each of our school sites. So we had that to hand out to families, but if a family called a teacher, if, if they called a, the principal, the, the school secretary called any school number and had a question, we would also spend that time to educate them on Hey, if, if you have any further questions, use this call center. One of us will always be there for you. Um, and, and one of the key aspects of that uh, wasn't to solve every problem, but to make sure that the problem was heard and triaged well. Because I think the most frustrating thing in communication chains is when it stops and when it's not there. And we don't want anyone making that call and coming up zeros. So for us, uh, th there was no there was no magic to the process, although we did blast out our call center numbers pretty regularly through the process and make sure, like Kyle mentioned in our phone calls to parents, uh, what the numbers were available to call, You know how they could get to their answers as fast as humanly possible. 
So I think our next um, our next topic is the I think the meaty one, and I think it's the one I think a lot of people are going to be curious to hear about. In addition to I think the one at the end was staffing, but uh, curriculum, right? Um, you know, this again we have an obligation to teach our kids, right? Regardless, uh, virtual or in person, right? That's that's our first and our foremost and our goal um, as a school, you know, and so. We'll talk about curriculum again. So we'll go back and we'll start off with, with Paramount to talk about curriculum. And then we'll talk about uh, curriculum as well from the Timley Summit side. Yeah, happy to dive into that. Um, so going back a little bit, we've spent the last three years uh, integrating one-to-one -one technology within our K-8 campuses. Uh, kindergarten just starting that process within the last two years. Um, you know, we were already using platforms like Google Classroom inside of the classroom for about the last two years. So it was a no brainer uh, to, to choose that as our primary platform for um, for virtual learning. Um, our teachers felt a great deal of comfort with it, as did our uh, our students. So by the time we broke for virtual learning last spring, we had uh, the majority of our second through eighth graders who had a great deal of experience with it. Um, and as a bonus, most of our primary and supplementary curriculums line up really well with Google Classroom. Um, we didn't vet that process very much. So admittedly, um, you know, it's it's um, I don't know much about any of the other options in terms of those uh, some of those learning platforms. But I know that Google Classroom works really well for what we do. Uh, just in general, some things to consider when um, integrating curriculum. Uh, if you're anything like me, you've gotten flooded with uh, email after email about the next big thing in curriculum over the next over the last six months. It's uh, it's been a bit overwhelming. And uh, I think it's important to keep your circles tight in terms of the curriculum you're using. Certainly, you want your students and your teachers um, to have that familiarity with the platforms that you're already using, whether that be your primary curriculum or your secondary um, but if you're integrating new types of technology, make sure it's vetted by everyone from the teachers to um, to your support staff, to your to your leadership teams before any of that is integrated. I think it's really important, though, that um, we don't overwhelm families. We don't overwhelm teachers. And certainly we don't want to overwhelm students with too many platforms. And that's too, that may be too much to manage. Uh, second thing would be. Um, you know, I already kind of mentioned this, but keep it consistent with familiar platforms, vet potential new platforms by seeing how well they align to your own academic systems. Um, but the more familiarity you can provide your students, the better. And then the third thing is, does your curriculum uh, platform allow for students to work independently, um, responsibly? Um, do, question, do the questions work uh, students towards mastery? Um, IXL is, is a, a digital platform that I'll use as an example of this. We love IXL for ELA, math, science, and social studies because one, our students have familiarity with it, but two, IXL helps our students work towards mastery. We don't, um, we want to make sure during independent learning and virtual students aren't going down that rabbit hole of um, continually making the same mistakes. IXL allows them to work towards mastery, which, which is what we want during that time. Um, a couple of key curriculum pieces I'll just talk about really quickly. I already mentioned IXL. We love that. Another key um, aspect of IXL, it allows us to differentiate really well. Students can work at any level at any time, and it's easy for a teacher to differentiate within IXL, which we love. Uh, a couple other curriculums we use, News ELA is great for writing and 
reading comprehension, and it also integrates really well to Google Classroom. Smarter Balanced is a new one. It was kind of born out of the American Institutes of Research, who um, is our is the writer of our state assessment. They have really good DOK three and four performance writing tasks that we use um, for our third through eighth graders. ReadWorks is another one we use for all grade levels. Khan Academy, we primarily use for middle school math. Edgelastic has been an excellent tool. And for those of you folks who are from outside of Indiana, Edgelastic is an excellent tool to, uh, to make sure that students are um, getting really high quality DOK three and four type assessment questions, and they cater it to any, any state's uh, state standards. We used it at the end last year, at the end of the school year, to uh, as a pre and post test to test growth. And we are really encouraged with the results and the quality of the assessments. Really quickly on our uh, primary curriculums, we use uh, in K2, we use Amplify Core Knowledge for ELA. Our upper elementary uses Savas, uh, formerly called Pearson. And our sixth through eight uses McGraw-Hill Study Sync. And then all of our students use K through eight math curriculum through Savas, Pearson, and Vision 2.0. And just as a side note, those were selected by a panel of our teacher leaders and uh, school leaders based on the fact that they had really good digital um, literacy tools within them as well. So we're, we're pretty excited about that. Um, one more thing I wanted to hit on, David, if you could bring up the um, cycle of instruction. Um, I'll just yeah. narrate that quickly and I'll kind of talk a little more in depth about what we're doing with um, each cycle of instruction that happens throughout the day. All right, Kyle, make sure I got the right one. Is this the virtual instructional cycle, correct? Yeah, yes, it is. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna make sure. That's it, correct? Yep. Okay. And I'll go quickly because I want to make sure Tinley has time to present some of their best practices. But um, each cycle of instruction lasts anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half just based on um, the grade level. Uh, everything starts with a 15 to 20 minute mini lesson. And I think it's important to name that we make sure we focus on one learning target at a time. We don't want to dilute the product by uh, focusing on a multitude of standards at once. We want to make sure there's one standard that we're focused on throughout the lesson. And similar to uh, what David said earlier, our teachers during that process are scanning for who's getting it and who isn't getting it. So the next step after that teacher-led mini lesson uh, is an opportunity for our teachers to do a gradual release model, um, use what we call our student response systems to, um, to make sure that we, um, we are really kind of aggressively monitoring and using what I call in-game data to determine who's getting it, who's not getting it, who needs a little bit of additional remediation. At that point, the teacher makes the call really quickly and subtly to let students know which students are staying on for a reteach and which students can be uh, advanced to independent practice. And then at the end of every lesson, we do a five to 10 minute standards-based um, exit ticket that focuses on um, some sort of DOK three or four, um, either performance task or uh, assessment style question. Um, and there's differentiation throughout that process as well, where we add more to the platform based on um, students who make it done early so they, they can continue to stay engaged. Darius, did you want to comment on how this kind of works on, from a boots in the ground perspective for Paramount at Paramount Inglewood? Yeah, I think Kyle said it best when you think around like, you know, just what are the curriculum pieces that we're using and the platforms that he mentioned, um, you know, are, 
quintessential to what we do. I think most importantly around like IXL because just that, you know, live feedback for students and being able to really coach students to if you do unfortunately get a problem wrong, how to tackle that uh, oops section in terms of walking through those steps to see how the correct answer was the correct answer. And IXL is great because students like to uh, get 100. So it's a game to them when they when they get a question wrong and their score drops, you know, they're they're working just as hard to make sure they can get back up because they don't want to see this, that smart score drop. So I think Kyle really summed up, you know, what we're doing from a curriculum standpoint very well. Uh, you know, students are working hard, teachers are working hard uh, just to make sure that we have the right tools. But it's the tools that make it all make sense for us. Yeah, I think when we talk about Paramount, we're always talking about systems. We codify everything. We try to have strong frameworks for how we put everything together. Uh, but if our system of frameworks and codification and, you know, our structure is so rigid that we just grind the same same mistake in over and over again, uh, we're failing kids. And so for us, like like Darius and Kyle just said, the key is making sure that the process involves student growth and the process uh, is taking the child down a growth trajectory and not down a, a drill and kill trajectory. And I think the tools that we're choosing definitely get vetted with that focus in mind. So, um, you know, from a curriculum standpoint and what we're using and how we're interjecting that, that's kind of our focus. I'd love to hear about Tinley. So, Cam, before you go, I got you. Um, I think we we drew a hard line <laughs> with curriculum. And, and Cal knows where I'm going with this. Um, one thing we weren't going to do, and I think because we 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 were we was at Tinley when we adopted our curriculum with achievement first. And, and uh, Tina knows like the back of her hand, and, and I know it because it's, it's what, what we know. And so we said, whatever we do, we need to make sure that we can stick with our curriculum. And so we're, we are a Microsoft school. And so we did take the approach when the option afforded itself to have one-to-one -one, that we said, we're going to do live lessons. So having Microsoft Teams to do live lessons, but then also having Microsoft Streams as a video warehouse to store those lessons, because we do have to understand that there are some kids that won't be able to get on live. But having a video warehouse where they can we can store those videos and they can watch it later and still complete the assignments, that was big for us. And so that's that was part of iteration one. We had live lessons. We had the, the store and the videos. We moved into Schoology and we used Schoology for our, our warehouse, for our curriculum, our lesson plans for students to submit assignments. Um, those that are, don't know what a Schoology is like Canvas. Um, it kind of looks like Facebook, but it's like Canvas um, for the colleges. And so Schoology is the platform that, that we're using and. You know, we're happy to say we've now got Schoology all the way down to second grade. And so when Tina goes into the curriculum and how we're leveraging and how we're using Microsoft Teams and how we're using Schoology um, and some of the other platforms, uh, Lexia, and I know uh, our teacher um, leader, Ms. Hogan's on here, and Epic, Book, and all those other things, we'll dive into how we're trying to navigate. But again, we, we kept the line strong on we're going to make sure that we use our curriculum to fidelity and integrity. Yeah, that was one of the things, as I said, uh, as we were ending out the school year and I was thinking forward about the fall and talking with instruction partners, I said, we just have to, we have to be able to use the curriculum. We can't just take this this long break. So we use Achievement First um, and our teachers, that's where they upload their plans. And it works very nicely because we are a Microsoft school, Schooler G. Uh, ties in with Microsoft. We also use um, Nearpod, which also ties in with Schoology um, and Teams. And then um, 
the nice thing about Achievement First is they um, were able to get access to their virtual learning. So all of their lessons are virtual through Desmos. Um, so our our math teachers have found that Desmos is really um, is easier than the Nearpod for the math. So some have started to play around with that because one of the things we saw in the spring as well is that it was hard to get engagement for math. Um, it was hard for the teachers to see what are the kids doing. Um, and so Nearpod, I had come across it through one of my own professional developments. And I just loved how the teacher was able to see what all the kids were doing and where they were in those spaces and they could give in the moment feedback um, and things like that and track it. And then we came across Desmos through Achievement First as well, which does kind of the same thing, um, but is easier for the math. So some teachers are using Nearpod. Um, we're pushing that more and more. Um, we're definitely all of these things have been pushed in the higher grades and we're kind of working our way down as it is a little more challenging with the younger kids. Um, some other platforms we use um, that kids are using during their learning, their independent learning time, MobyMax, Lexia, like you said, Kyle, these are things that allow them to work, um, to be successful and achieve mastery and fill those gaps that need to be, need to be filled. They're working at their level to get there. Um, we do use uh, our fifth and sixth graders are using Khan Academy. ReadWorks is huge, um, especially uh, homework, our teachers are assigning that um, for homework. And then Miss Hogan, our teacher leader, came across Epic Books and just ran with it. And she helped um, kindergarten and first get grade roll that out. And that's been very helpful to kids with IEPs, um, our ELL population, because it allows for them to hear the books and read the books and answer questions. She can assign books that are on their level or just assign a book to the whole class to um, do for fun. And the kids love, they love um, epic books. But I think the biggest thing is that we just wanted to make sure that our kids were continuing to be exposed to our rigorous curriculum. And our teachers have just kind of taken it and made their own, made it their own on how they deliver. We have some teachers that um, will make their own PowerPoint and they present it that way. And I just know the time that it takes for them to do that, to make sure that their kids are getting it. Um, another thing that's really great about Teams um, with being Microsoft is and Schoology connecting to Microsoft is the OneDrive. This is, one of our teachers figured out how to provide um, feedback on writing through OneDrive. She could do in the moment feedback for each kid because their work was coming right to the OneDrive and she just make comments in a different color and then they could make those in the moment. So she was aggressively monitoring during writing virtually. And Tina, I think another thing too um, with Schoology um, and, and how it syncs, we've also been able as school leaders to give lesson plan feedback uh, to teachers as well. And so that, that was big for us as well uh, because typically, you know, they submit their lessons and we give the lesson plan feedback and you give it to them. But now that we're virtual, we can provide that lesson plan feedback virtually and can still continue those cycles of, of coaching for our teachers as well. So again, um, we... We, we hope if you're listening, we've, we've mentioned uh, tons of platforms and resources. And again, if, if you're using some of these, um, uh, that's great. If you have other other platforms that you're using, please pop in the comments, share those. Again, this is about a collaborative form. Uh, our two schools came together to share resources. So we want to hear from you as well. So for our school leaders or our parents or the other resources that you've, you've had, please share those out because we want to make sure that the, the broader audience gets this. And I uh, want to thank everybody again, for tuning in as, as we continue to go through. And so we'll move now 
down to tech. Hey, hey, David, yeah. can I can I jump in Absolutely. before we hit that next topic? I just think you were just touching Tina on, uh, and actually both of you on just videos and. Um, you know, we, we heard so much early talk in the pandemic about synchronous and asynchronous and people struggling to figure out which is the best method. And it turns out the best method is both and that those two words get kind of used in parallels now and they get confused everywhere. But uh, I think the, the idea of recording lessons and having them there for looking at when, when kids or families aren't able to access the curriculum in the moment, that's valuable. But what's really turned into a high value for us is those video exemplars when we get it right, we're always videoing and we can grab those exemplars and what a great teaching tool for the rest of the staff. And those exemplars, you know, pandemic or no pandemic are now part of the fabric of who we are because they're so powerful when you get to see it in action like that and see it be effective. And heck, we just showed our, our board uh, live video, not live, we showed the video exemplars of a uh, teacher in the classroom on campus, and then we showed them the exact same lesson being done in a virtual space so our board could conceptualize what the same lesson looks like in both places. And it's really powerful. And that's it's a really cool byproduct of what we're doing. Yeah, I think, you know, having that that warehouse um, is key. Um, again, I hope we don't have, you know, iteration number four of this, but if we do, <laughs> right, we definitely have best practices. And as we're onboarding new teachers, right? Uh, next school year, you know, I, I think we got, God forbid, we hope we're not in this situation. But if we are, uh, we have our new teachers saying, okay, you want to see best practice in a virtual setting? You know, here you go. Here's a, here's a group of videos. And so we're definitely trying to share those out. So we'll jump to the, the big one. I think uh, technology is, is a big one. And so in this section, we're going to hit on um, student tech, teacher tech. Um, then we're going to get into the, the wheeze of, of budgeting and talk about, you know, how we've had to to use some of the money uh, to, to pay for that. And so on our end, I'll kick it off. Um, as Tina mentioned, iteration number one, we were fortunate enough, and I want to give a, a special shout out to our uh, chief operating officer, Adrice Redmond, and our CEO, Dr. Brian Metcalf, because um, when all of this happened, somehow they were able to um, get on the calls, get on the website, and get us Chromebooks um, for our school, at least three through six, before our network three, uh, three through twelve, and so we have uh, three schools: uh, a high school um, and two elementary schools that are K six, and a seven twelve high school. So they were able to get technology. And so um, when we started this, the first round, we did have Chromebooks for students in grades three through six. Um, and so in that, we spent time getting those packed up and organized, uh, make sure they worked but then also making sure that we can get the platforms bookmarked on them as well to kind of save that time. But if we didn't, the teachers use that time in those first couple of days of the lesson, sharing their screen saying, okay, we're going to go to this website. This is how you bookmark and things like that. And so that first iteration we did have um, three through six moving. When we got to the second round, we were, was able to think ahead because what we did learn when we started in person is we say, you know what? Um, as times are changing, um, we were late to the to the to the bandwagon of being one to one. But even though we plan on starting school in person, it's best that we go one to one now, uh, K six. But not just go one to one to get the technology. Let's also learn, make sure that our students become technology literate. I think that was the big thing for us. Like, how do we make sure our kids are technology literate? <laughs> yeah, yeah, big time. <laughs> yeah, well and so we we got Chromebooks for uh, K through six, and from day one. Calvin can tell you, we want, We said built-in technology time. 
but built-in technology time that's appropriate. And, and not, not just kids getting on there playing games, but getting on kids where you're teaching the lesson, you are still using Microsoft Teams and Microsoft Streams and things like that in Schoology. Um, and that was a big push for us. And so we, we needed to do that because it was, it was always floating out there that this was a possibility, uh, that we would go back. And we were fortunate enough to have 13 some odd weeks of in-person. Um, but now as we went virtual again, I'm just really appreciative that we can say our kids um, are better off. Um, I know our teachers are on here. Uh, we were we was late to the teacher <laughs> technology piece. And so right before our school shut down, our teachers got brand new laptops. And so they are excited about that piece um, because they were using their personal laptops. But again, kudos uh, to our, our network team who's able to get those. And so now teachers have their uh, laptops. And Tina, I do want you to talk about a piece um, with tech before I go to Wi-Fi about how you figured out how to convert your phone or iPad into a dot cam or whatever you did there and how that was beneficial. Well, that was Miss Hogan again. Uh, her and I worked together on that. One of the things our teachers had, a, the resource they have in their classroom that they probably depend on the most is the document camera. They, they do that for projecting text, um, especially in our lower grades where it's a lot of let's look at this text and I'm going to model that um, using it for show call, um, things like that. But we, uh, one of our instruction partners, um, ladies, she had figured out how to take your phone and use it as a document camera through Zoom. Um, and then Ms. Hogan and I, we kind of worked together to figure out how to do that through Teams. And that was a game changer. And then she found this like gooseneck thing that she could, that could hold her phone. So she could have a document camera at home for her scholars um, to see that. And then we found it very useful as we were um, coming up on our end of year benchmark for Dibbles. It allowed our teachers to then do uh, their Dibbles assessments because they could project the book for the kids to read. And now of course, Amplify has um, made all of their materials digital for us to use. Um, so they don't have to use that anymore, but definitely, and I meant to mention that earlier that the teachers are able to a lot of them are using an iPad or a phone as a document camera to show those phonics cards, to show the text, to um, anything they need their kids to see. So yeah, I mean, it's drastically changed. Yeah, right. It's drastically changed the way we're able to give live instruction because, as she said, like we can put the, the the story on the screen and share it that way, and teacher can move through it, and you can mark up the text still the same way in the read instruction. So again, like. All this was found, right, say a teacher, you know, just, just trying different things and having other resources to share. The last piece of this before I, I pass it over to Paramount is, you know, budgeting for tech needs. And, and those that are in uh, upper management for school knows that the way in which we budget now um, has, has changed. In addition to the PPEs and, and how we're budgeting for that as well, we also have the budget for the tech because as our student population grows, we got to incorporate that. But we also have to and make sure that we have a bench of Chromebooks because like any technology accidents happen and, and they get dropped or they get spilled or just there's glitches and you want to make sure that there's no interruption in a student's learning because uh, a Chromebook didn't work. And so that was one of the things that, that we had to do as well that we even converted old student laptops uh, and, and got those reprogrammed to use us as, as supplements as well. But also give us a special shout out. I don't know if he's watching, he may be, but I don't know if he's on social media, but our IT guy, Jeff, who is um, a one-man rock star by himself and resetting passwords and, 
and coming to fixing Chromebooks even during the pandemic came today and yesterday to fix some Chromebooks. And so we're able to, to bridge that gap. But we know now that we have to budget to make sure that we can keep up with the technology need. And then last but not least, um, we, we did purchase some Wi-Fi routers so parents know that, you know, if you don't have Wi-Fi at home, that we don't also, again, don't want that to be another interruption for your students learning um, to make sure that you have Wi-Fi. So we, we've, we've done those capabilities. But we've also told parents, hey, connect with another parent during the school day. Uh, again, social distancing and be safe, but maybe do a collaboration. Um, and, and we're also trying to support our students that go to daycare. Um, if those daycares are, are, are not having Wi-Fi or they have a bunch of kids pulling from the same Wi-Fi, that we can provide those daycare centers with a hot spot for our students where it doesn't pull for everything. And so um, that, you know, that's what we're doing with tech again, constantly learning, um, but interested to hear, you know, how the team at Paramount has navigated through tech and Wi-Fi and, and how budgeting will change. Yeah, thanks, David. Uh, th this is such a fascinating topic because it gets, it, it's like this giant hole you dive into and it just gets deeper and deeper and you never climb out of it. So I guess most things with technology work that way. Um, but it's, it's really interesting you mentioned attrition. Um, you know, in purchasing technology for your kids, is going to be an, a, an attrition, especially with devices going home. We were a culture that weren't we weren't sending devices home K eight at all. Although we were we were one to one third grade through eighth grade in our system, so we had about eight to nine hundred students one to one pre pandemic, and then we made the switch mid pandemic to one to one K through eight. Uh, in that process, I knew we needed at least 10% overage in what we were ordering so we could manage break fix. And so, you know, we have a population now of 1,250 kids. So 10% doesn't sound too much, but suddenly that's 125 extra Chromebooks that we need to not only just go buy, but find. And sometimes that's harder than buying. Um, you know, pre-pandemic, because this was rolling up and right when the pandemic hit, I should give shout outs, uh, the Charter School Growth Fund, um, the Calder Foundation, these are some of the national folks that stepped forward and supported us because they had supported us in the past and helped us get into a uh, position to buy some more technology early. I think that that was, that was definitely a big help to our organization. So very thankful for them. Um, in terms of the rollout itself, you know, our, our tech wizard, Justin Braun is amazing. Um, you know, we, we've got a, a bevy of software tools that allow us to monitor our technology when it's off-site and make sure that it's being used appropriately. Um, if it's not being used at all, we can shut it down. Uh, believe it or not, we had we had a student try to sell a device on secondary market and didn't go very well because the device was shut down. And we actually had the purchaser of the device call us and ask us to turn the device on, which is how we ended up solving the problem and getting the, the technology back. And so, you know, having good supports and apps built into those machines were really good. Um, but, you know, we, we were just talking this morning after uh, we had this discussion internally, there's some really interesting problems that are happening that we didn't see in the entire pandemic surrounding staff. We were really trying to predict all our problems with kids, but what do you do when you've got a staff member at home with poor Wi-Fi? You know, we're always thinking about how to support the child with poor Wi-Fi, but if the teacher has poor Wi-Fi and they can't deliver a good lesson, uh, suddenly we're in a limiting experience. And, and the simple, I was just thinking about it minutes ago, I was like, we've got to start hardwiring our teachers and we've got to have them plug directly into their Wi-Fi routers at home. So it's going to solve 90% of our speed issues by plugging in direct. So quick secondary thought there. Um, in terms of Wi-Fi cards, uh, the numbers that we're running are anywhere between $250 and $600 a year for hotspots for Wi-Fi uh, per card. 
And so when you're talking about budgeting and budgeting those in, um, you know, realistically, we're seeing numbers between 10 and 20% of our families in a, um, a Wi-Fi need position. Some of them absolutely have to have our help. Others are just getting things put in process or maybe dealing with some instability that's making it hard for them to be consistent. So that's another strong budget consideration. Um, and then the type of technology being used, obviously we were in Apple school before all of this started. And when we went one-to-one -one in technology, you can't, you can't make a good fiscal decision going one-to-one -one with Apple technology unless you're being floated money by Bezos or somebody. And so, you know, we, we had to switch over and go with a cheaper one-to-one -one device and, and Chromebooks really make a lot of sense there. And so we switched our staff to Chromebooks as well. So they were teaching with the same technology that their students were learning on. We felt like that gave uh, a really good synergy between teacher and student. But we ran into problems there because uh, the Chromebooks can only, hand, only handle so much throughput in terms of video and, and handling multiple, scre multiple screens and everything else. So for us, that was eye-opening. And you just mentioned your staff got new computers. Um, we couldn't get all of our staff new computers, but they certainly got computers that weren't Chromebooks. And so we had a lot of upcycling going on to support our teachers who were in the virtual space to make sure that they had the bandwidth to support the students on the other side. Um, for some of the rest of that, I want to hand it over to Jess to talk about um, how we worked some of these problems. I've mentioned a few of them, but uh, on the operations side, she's really fronted most of this for us. Yeah, a couple other issues that we we tried to do some break fix work really quick, um, making sure that students are searching appropriate content was one of them. So we have a web builder called Securely that has something called Auditor, and it scans for alerts based on context. So it's not just searching for keywords, but keywords in context, and then that alert gets sent to our social emotional team. So a counselor reaches out to students who are typing things about bullying or self-harm or, you know, not age appropriate content for that time and then works with the family in that as well. And so instead of just turning off a device for inappropriate use, we're trying to get them the social emotional supports that are necessary, you know, for why someone would be typing hey, Jess, that in. Just real quick, sorry. Uh, Is that, you can yeah. do that um, remotely? Like you, you guys can, from the student's home? Oh, wow. What's that called again? Yep. Cal, write this one down. <laughs> write, write this down. <laughs> it's the web filter is called Securely, and awesome. then there's okay. a part of it called Auditor, and I think it runs about it's well worth it though, 10K like, like you said, yeah. Um, but totally worth it. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's one of the disconnects is you know how do you provide social emotional support to students who aren't self-identifying? Sometimes they self-identify by just the things that they type into a search bar. Um, and it scans everything. So anything that goes through their, their email, their drive, their docs, anything, which has been really helpful for us. And the fact that we can direct it to a certain staff member so that we know how it's gonna get dealt with is, is also really useful. Couple other things, um, you know, not all teachers want their personal cell phones given out to families and students. So using Google Voice or school-sponsored cell phone plans to make sure that they can still communicate in a way that they're comfortable with something we've used uh, annotation tools kyle found a really cool pad that allows teachers and kids to to you know see what's being annotated so instead of them just typing in an answer they can actually see that math work being done kind of like what tina was talking about earlier um dot cams are another thing we've had to um you know think about having for everybody at home and then another thing is just you know standard operating procedures for 
you know, what should you do when you're conducting videos or having live lessons? You know, lighting is a big thing. We don't want our teachers to look like they're in witness protection. And so there's just a lot of tricks if you're not on, you know, a screen all the time to help you realize like where the light needs to be and where your face needs to be and the kind of candor you need to have when you're just talking at a screen and not communicating back and forth with a person is a little bit different. So we have that in place. And then engagement trackers. So what you mentioned earlier, you know, we know that not all of our kids can join those live lessons, but we want to make sure that they engage with a video recording of it at some point. And so Kyle's worked really hard um, to get our schools hooked up with um, different engagement trackers that can show which kids have watched the video. And then it also documents, like, did they watch the whole video? Did they only watch the first two seconds of it and then close it down? Um, so just, you know, things like that, that you would be able to do in a in a one-to-one -one kind of classroom, but it makes it a little bit more uh, difficult. Otherwise, as far as budgeting for all of this, like Tommy talked about, we were really fortunate to have some some awesome donors on our end. And then also our team just hustled with grants and, you know, really try to think of it like we're going to be in this for the unforeseen future. And so we know these are costs that we're going to have. And so when we were planning for our grants, where can we fit in tech? Where can we fit this in? And just budgeting really conservatively to allow for gaps that we could fill later on. With yeah, and we should point out just... Sorry to cut you off. I mean, we okay. shout out to OEI for fronting the gear grant and Perry Township for being the fiscal agent um, for local technology via COVID dollars coming into the state. So that was also a big help for us in terms of laptops and hotspots. Um, and a shout out to Five Star Technologies who helped support us on the back end because our tech guy, Justin, is amazing. He's one person. Um, and then Matt Belsass and Trajectory. Uh, we've been using Trajectory since the start of the school year to manage more of the break fix along with our call center based approach for tech service. So um, that that tech support in home for families is, you know, some weeks it can be a 20, 30 hour task, other weeks it can be four hours, but we, we really felt we needed that extra surplus there. So we actually have two different tech companies supporting our tech department at the school. So I think, um, and just you kind of teed it up. So I think now that we, we talked about Wi-Fi and, and technology, now we're going to talk about engagement. Uh, I think this is another area uh, that I know we are still learning. And so for us, this is going to be a lot of us listening as well. Um, but we'll have Paramount kick it off about teacher engagement strategies, but also with that strategies for non-engagement. So how do you engage the students and then how do we support when there's non-engagement? So I'll kick it off to the team at Paramount. Um, I think it's Kyle and Darius will lead us um, in, in engagement. Yeah, I'll just kind of give a big picture summary of what we're doing with engagement and then how we're supporting those non-engaged students. And uh, Darius working on the front lines of that everybody can kind of talk through how he's leveraging his team to support with that process. We developed some engagement trackers that we really use to codify how we define and track um, student engagement um, across our network of schools. Um, we use those to put in key high lever assignments um, on that tracker, but also track every engagement we have with that child. And we also have an additional tracker for our special education students and our English language learners so we can provide those additional supports, but also document those um, additional supports. With that, um, we have some really talented tech folks um, on our site teams who are able to develop a formulated uh, spreadsheet that allows us to not only track those things across our network, but 
formulate at a weekly engagement tracker that can go home to families. So um, happy to walk through that document, David. I think that's our last PDF. If you could please pull that up and um, I can just kind of annotate through it quickly and then I'll pass it on to Darius. Yep. Uh, is that the assignment tracker? Yeah, that's what, Yep. Perfect. So it's hard to tell here, but this is all based on a formula. So each of our grade levels puts together their highest level reading, writing, math, science um, assignments per week. So this is just the assignment part of things. And then they, as a grade level during their weekly strategic planning sessions, I mentioned before that our network grade level teams are meeting once a week to codify this process and align their, their, uh, their, their academic programming. Um, they plug in the numbers um, and that that helps us populate the total engagement, but it also helps us get to the um, get a better idea of how students are performing within those grade level standards, because we choose the highest lever um, standard focused assignments every week to put on there. Um, so it's a very cool document. It's one we use across our entire district um, to make sure that we are fully tracking engagement um and participation in, in, within those high level assignments as well if you scroll down just a little bit uh this is color coded now so if a student uh i, I forgot ex what exactly the numbers that we decided on were but if a student has 80 percent or higher they're in the green if you start getting into the red and there's a lot of reds here because there's zeros because it, it's just a, um, a sample document but if you're starting to get into the reds, then we leverage um, our, our site level support teams for a little bit of additional remediation with that child to make sure that um, we're reaching out to them and engaging them and, and, and really supporting them and anything they need to make sure they're um, they're engaged and they, they have what they need to be supported through this process. Uh, one more slide down, please. Again, this, this is our contact sheet. So this is the way we um, the, we'll log the weekly contacts with our families. So we're going on every week. We try to make two phone calls beyond the welcome calls per week, Monday and Thursday, um, so that parents are getting that, that meaningful communication twice a week. And then we finish the week with the engagement uh, tracker that goes home to all families. Um, down one more, please. Similar concept, but this is for our special education population. Each teacher of record makes an additional call daily um, to the students on their caseload and um, provides accommodations as needed. Uh, one thing we did mention is our special education teachers are also integrated within their Google Classroom of each teacher, so they can provide that on-demand support as needed. But um, as we provide that additional small group and one-on-one -on -one support per the student's IEP, we can document all of that there as well. And then the last slide is our engagement. Is that the last one? Oh, it may not be on there. Um, I'm going to pass it on to Darius to talk a little bit about how we're leveraging our staff to support those non-engaged students and also talk a little bit about our engagement tracker that goes home on Fridays to our families. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I'll start with the, the engagement piece and like what, what does engagement look like from the teacher's perspective? at Paramount, and then we'll get into the non-engagement piece. Um, you know, just like everybody else, you know, we're trying to just be grounded in, in, in the simplicity of what our tools are and just use the tools that we have to the best of our ability. So I, I think about it as like a graduate release process. So 
first and foremost, we just have to feel good about Google Classroom. I, I think I think for us, Google Classroom is just a non-starter um, in terms of you know that that is ground ground zero. And luckily, you know, when we when, if we're talking about it like um, like phase one, two, and three of virtual, uh, during phase one, we got lucky that we were already using Google Classroom, really kind of across the district, um, but using Google Classroom at a very high clip. So when we got thrust into virtual in the spring, you know, honestly, we, we got lucky that kids knew Google Classroom very well. And, you know, it was kind of like business as usual, we're just at home. So, and, and now even fast forward to us being in phase three right now of uh, a virtual learning, you know, and we had, luckily we had some time this time to make sure uh, that kids were ready for virtual instruction. So I, th I thought it was real cool. And I think it mattered a lot because we even, we were even getting a few new kids uh, right up until the last minute. But a lot of our teachers right before uh, we officially switched over to virtual right now, they literally let out the last week of instruction as though they were in a virtual classroom. So teachers had already taken time and pre-recorded lessons and were really directing students day in and day out in their classes as though they were home doing that math instruction from home. And they had to uh, watch the live lesson um, let click on the links and let that transfer it to Savis, let it transfer it to Study Sync, et cetera. So it was kind of cool to watch that send off right before virtual instruction. It was just happening in the building. So, and I think again, that, that send off is making sure kids and teachers feel good about just navigating Google Classroom. You know, what's the difference between the stream tab at the top versus the classwork tab at the top, you know? So, and, and then that teacher directing students like, hey, I'm doing a lot of communication via the stream. So you need to start here or I'm doing, you know, I'm not putting that much on the stream. You just got to go to the classwork and it's already nicely organized. So the teachers did a good job of right before directing kids about how to best navigate Google Classroom for their individual class. Um, but once we're once we feel good about Google Classroom and the navigation of it from a teacher's perspective, the teachers did a great job of at that point. Uh, you, our universal tool right now for videos is Screencastify. So once you once you can navigate and, and do a lot of good things for Google Classroom, now you got to go make these pre-recorded videos. Uh, so we're using the platform of Screencastify to make those videos, and and you know that they've been real cool. Like we want we're telling teachers, I want to still see that same you know, eight to 10 minute mini lesson um, that I will see that if I walk into your classroom uh, physically. So teachers are recording themselves, walking themselves through typically a PowerPoint, but walking through their their mini lesson as though they're in the classroom, still building in that uh, gradual release of a uh, guided practice where, you know, we're doing a problem together and, and as I send you into independent work. Um, and, and, and the way that we do that check for understanding piece is getting into our next tool. So again, first, Google Classroom, feel good about that. Second, let's record your video, that's Screencastify. But how we get into that guided practice into the independent work is using some tools that honestly we've already talked about. Um, so teachers are starting to incorporate tools like Nearpod and incorporate tools like Edpuzzle that allows them to build in check for understandings into the video. So they what they do is they make their screencastify video, then they put that video into the Edpuzzle platform, for example. And Edpuzzle allows them to like stop the video at a certain second of the video and, and essentially build in a check for understanding question for the student. 
And the great thing about Airpuzzle, I, I think it is highly underrated and everybody should be using it, is it allows it allows the, the teacher to one build in that check for understanding, but it doesn't let the kid continue on with the video until they submit an answer. So even if they get it, hopefully they're getting it right, but even if they get it right or wrong, the video cannot continue until you submit an answer for that question, which is awesome. And then on the back end, and Jess mentioned, mentioned this uh, for a second earlier, the, the teacher can look under a puzzle and just see <clears throat> how much of that video did that kid watch? Did they watch 100% of the video? If it's a 10 minute video, did they stop at the four minute mark, at the seven minute mark? You can see it down to the second as to how much of the video did the kid engage with. And that's very powerful, uh, one, for just accountability and a good way for kids. Like, hey, you know, I'm glad you have my office hours right now. Like, you're awesome for that. But I see you only watch four minutes of my video. So let's start there. Um, so, you know, just, just you know, it helps us guide conversations with kids and students just to make sure that they are upholding their in the bargain and engaging with the tools at their disposal. Um, and that, that's been huge for us. For us. We also use Nearpod similar to uh, how Tina talked about it in the platform. Again, Nearpod is a huge tool for us. And going off of what Kyle said, we use every Friday, we are building our uh, weekly reports for parents and students. So we want to make sure that we're communicating well with parents as to how their kid is doing virtually. Uh, so we're building out based on the tracker that you had showed, we're putting in a one that the kid did the assignment or a zero that the kid did not do the assignment. Uh, just building in some, um, just some trackers so we can send home, send home a report for parents like, hey, awesome job for your kid this week. And it's color coded. So, you know, parents can all, uh, instantly see the amount of green or yellow or orange or red on the report, even before they read the wording of it. Uh, and that report is basically just letting you know, like, your kid did an awesome job this week, knocked it out of the park in terms of engaging and completing the work. Uh, or, you know, we're listing out the amount of assignments that they missed. Like, hey, uh, in math, they missed these two assignments this week. In LA, they missed these three assignments this week. So it, it does a good job of starting conversation with parents. And, that, and, and if needed, that kid is over the weekend trying to tackle and catch up on some of that missing work uh, before we hit a fresh slate of work on that following Monday. So that that weekly report is is so is so powerful because again it's just a great conversation starter between the school and between parents. Uh, so those are a lot of the tools that we use for for teacher engagement that have, have you know been you know just you know invaluable to us at, at Paramount. Um, but what we do in terms of like non-engagement, so let's say we're starting to get students who uh, are just not engaged in the platform. What's great is we, you know similar to what you talked about, David. We're looking at students and thinking about how can we are looking at teachers and staff and thinking how can we start to you know start to move people's roles around based on you know where we are currently in the situation uh so right now for example you know we have a recovery team and a family outreach team and their roles look a lot different because there are not kids in the building right now so what we're doing is we're looking at that assignment tracker and if a kid is in the red even after two days so two days go by that kid is trending towards red uh, the discipline team or the recovery team and the fact team are instantly making calls out to that family, if not even knocking on their door, uh, just to check in and see and just say, hey, what's going on? And sometimes it might be a Wi-Fi issue that they didn't communicate. Other times it might be just, uh, I truly don't, under I need help. And maybe they didn't get the memo about the office hours, et cetera. So we're looking at that assignment tracker to, to triage situations um, that they didn't 
outwardly come out and tell us. So that that nine engagement piece is just huge for us to again get kids back on the right track and using our discipline team and using our uh, back family outreach team uh, to again just get kids back in the fold and get them access to a high quality education. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we're developing a virtual school that's opening next year, and, and we've had to tackle some of these problems on a, on a very long-term basis as we designed the, the outflow for that new school. And so th this has been an amazing test run for us, and, and quite honestly, we would be developing a virtual school if there hadn't been a pandemic, but it's made us think long and hard about strategies for non-engagement. Uh, and so what we've come up with as the longer-term solution is a really overused word. It's called mentoring. But any child who starts to slip, fall behind, or uh, is not showing the engagement needed does get assigned a mentor who will be a member of one of the staff in that school. And that member of the staff is then charged with following up with that student. Because the number of non-engagement uh, is going to be high, especially in a pandemic where we've got a percentage of families who didn't ask for this, it was just thrown at them and they're now having to deal with it. We have higher levels of non-engagement now than what we would have in any purely regular chosen virtual environment. So it's a tall task to, to engage with all of these families who are really struggling and all these students who, who maybe don't have the capacity or support to engage. So we have to share the load, but there, it needs to be systematic. There needs to be a program for it. And for us, it was calling it mentoring and dedicating mentors for each child who is going through this problem. And even if we have to ramp up caseload similar to what we would do in special education or ELL, it's going to be a, a strong component of who we are. And like Darius said, you know, all, all of the non-teaching staff need a job. And, um, you know, they're, they're being paid to work a year-round job in our organization. And we're going to put them to work in the most essential task of all, which is student engagement. So they're going to be in that game. Um, special education is really challenging. Also, we're dealing with very similar issues in, in students who might have trouble accessing technologies, students, families who have trouble getting their students to stay focused through that technology because of their disability. Uh, our special education team um, works tirelessly at engaging these families in every means possible. Um, and I think it, it's a really interesting thing to think that there can still be a pull in push out model or sorry, push and pull out model in special education in a virtual environment. And to have our special education team pushing in to virtual lessons and still co-planning with the classroom teachers for accommodation and modifications and then having that tenacious follow-up with students when it's just not working out so we can come up with plan b plan c plan d um you know recasing that child to make sure that you know we're adjusting accommodations as necessary those those are real key factors in making sure that we get it right and get through that process um and i know this kind of leads into attendance which i will get to in a second and i want to hear tinley's response to engagement but i did want to mention ghost students um it's it's a it's a really tough topic but in this era we do have a lot of lost families who when we switch to pure virtual we think we have them on our roster and we find out after a couple of weeks of trying we're knocking on doors we're sending you know people to the house we're making every phone call email sending certified letters trying to find these families and they're just not there um and we have to make the courageous decision when that happens to drop them from our rosters because if we keep those families on and wait for count day we've done uh, a really interesting ethical thing. And um, I, I think that's a, that's a tension point that virtual schools get hit really hard on all the time for, for carrying a caseload of kids just for the financial reason for it, 
when they might not even truly be on the roster. And since we're forced into this virtual environment this year, we certainly don't want to get the same kind of stone throwing that comes with that. And so um, non-engagement can lead to those hard decisions. And hopefully it doesn't because you've got families that just need more support. We need to find a way to support them. But the inverse in making sure that we make sound decisions uh, is also true. But uh, that's kind of a downer, but uh, let's no. take it back to you guys and let's hear what you're doing on your end. Yeah. Cal, you, you want to go ahead? I mean, I took notes yeah. most of the time yeah. during this. <laughs> you know what? So did I. I really enjoyed that because I think this is probably um, one of our biggest growth areas. As I said before, what we recognized in the spring was teachers were really struggling with getting kids to engage the way they would in the classroom. And so we did Nearpod and things like that. Um, but one thing that we tried to do as a communicate, uh, gonna kind of talk towards your tracker. Um, one of the things that Mr. McGuire implemented and he even implemented it in the spring was the teachers do a week at a glance. Um, so that goes out to the families at the beginning of the week so that they know the parents and the kids know in a friendly way, not in teacher technical terms, what they can expect their, their kids to be learning each day. Um, so that's something that we've implemented as part of our communication of what needs to be happening. And so parents know what's um, what's going on. So we have that that goes out. Um, I feel like the teachers are, are finding more and more ways to get teach, uh, kids engaged in the learning through some of our platforms. I think one of the areas we struggle with is that non-engagement, like streams doesn't really allow us to see who watched the videos. And that's been a constant conversation with our teachers. How do I know if the kid watched the video? Because, you know, we take attendance based off of who's there live and Schoology has allowed us in our, in grades two through six, if they complete the assignment, then we'll mark them, mark them present. Um, so I think we're still, we're still navigating the waters of um, really getting everybody engaged, but the streams has been an issue for non-engagement, but we have a great team that is reaching out um, when they get that attendance report, they're making phone call after phone call. <laughs> the parents are not liking it, um, but they will call every single day. Your, your child's not in class. Your child needs to be in class. Um, our Dean today said he told a parent, you're gonna hear from me every awesome. single day. So you just need to get them you just need to get them on. So our counselor, our dean, instructional assistant, our office manager, our special teachers, they're taking those lists and they're calling. We're doing everything to try to get those kids. Um, and as Mr. McGuire said, we really try to stay in communication with the families, the ones who don't have that Wi-Fi. We're supporting them and make. we're trying to make sure that everybody has what they need um, to be successful. We do try to keep track of the parents who say, my kid can't be there live. They're going to watch they're going to watch the video and they're going to do this later. Um, but again, the nice thing about Schoology is we can see that those assignments are done. Schoology ties into PowerSchool, which is our grading, um, our grading system. So we're, because we went forward with our curriculum, the teachers are continuing to submit grades the way they did um, when they were in class. Parents all have logins for PowerSchool. We communicate out weekly, uh, log in, check your child's grades but teachers reach out every two weeks for failing grades, um, just in case the parent hasn't been checking in. Um, 
feel like I'm missing something. Why am I missing something? Not. I think you. Oh, I, think I you was going to talk yeah, about go our SPED and EL. Uh, you were talking about the SPED mm -hmm. and ELL before we even left. They had um, submitted. They had given their students scholar or uh, their scholar schedules for when they would be having their own pullout services. But they are also pushing in to those live classes, like you said. So they're seeing what's happening in the classes, and they're able um, to support in their individual schedules as yeah. well, working very, very hard to make sure that they have, that the scholars are getting those supports. And that was, that was our puzzle, trying to make sure that our ELL mm -hmm. and our SPED scholars, because I mean, our school, I mean, there, we have what, 38 SPED scholars, 36 ELL scholars. And so those teachers, it's three of them for those group of students and trying to navigate to make sure we can still stay aligned to their IEP, um, to make sure they still get the services that they deserve. Um, has been a big thing. So like, I know I, I had a touch with our ELL teacher today and she had 17 different mini meetings going on today because she was pulling her groups and this was her busy day. So she used Monday as her busy day to do her small group. And, and, and there, there, some are one-on-ones and some are two-on-ones and, and three-on-ones. And so that's been the big thing for us as well. But I think for, for me, if there's one piece of this that I'm going to uh, watch over and over, it is this engagement piece because as Tyler said, this is our biggest growth area. And so we thank you guys for sharing that. So I um, want to just shout out again, the folks that have been rocking with us. We have a few more we're going to go through, um, uh, but very robust. And so we'll talk about attendance, which again, not the sexiest thing to talk about, but you all know uh, those that oversee us, they don't want to see attendance drop to 60%. And so it has to be a primary focus. And so um, jokingly, but seriously, we have a saying in our school, uh, everybody's got to work. And Tommy, you hit on it, uh, folks are being paid salaries. And so um, part of that is you're now on attendance. And while it seems like, oh, that's easy, oh, it, it, you can, I mean, you talk to our counselor uh, and our dean, they will be on the phone from eight until three, calling, trying to get kids logged on, finding where they are, to what you said, we've had to make some house visits. We did that in iteration one and two. We haven't done it yet, but I know it's coming, knocking on doors. And so what we do is, it's simple. So when teachers, um, when kids come on, uh, and, and again, just to be transparent, we're, we're very strict about our attendance. And so in some places, kids have to log on essentially two to three times a day. Now you can't come to school in the morning and not show up in the afternoon and be counted uh, present if you did not communicate prior of a doctor's appointment or anything like that. And so it's the same thing we would do in the school day, or you can't show up um, in the afternoon class and miss the whole morning unexcused. And so um, as tough as it sounds, like if, if it's unexcused absence, um, if, if they miss one of the three, uh, then they are absent for that day. Um, and so again, because we, we have to, we have to draw a line and we have to push that. This is serious that this is not a time where we can just relax. Um, now, if the parent says, on, you know, reach out, say, hey, kid has a doctor's appointment at 930, uh, they'll watch the video, do the, do the uh, assignment, or, and they'll be on in the afternoon, then that's marked as excused. And so they get excused, and then when they show up in the, in the second or third session, it's changed the present. And so it, it's a constant communication. Our counselor's done a great job. She's overseeing attendance. Um, but she's working with the PE teacher and the art teacher and the instructional assistant and the dean. And they're, they're split up and they're calling. So a teacher will submit their uh, attendance and say, I have these four kids missing. And then they'll make a call. And so sharing a story today. So our fifth grade teacher yesterday in her morning class, she only had 12 of her 23 kids show up. 
our Dean called because he was assigned there. Today she had 19 of 23, right? So just a simple call, the reminder to the parents and telling the parents, hey, you thought your child would show up on their own and they didn't. So then the parent says, oh, well, I'm going to make sure they show up and now kids are showing up. And so we take attendance very serious. Tina knows it is the one thing that I am harping on because, again, just like if kids don't come to school, kids can't learn. So if kids aren't logging on, how are kids going to learn? And so we've given, we've given the Chromebooks. We've um, done the Wi-Fi boxes, something we haven't talked about. Our city's done a good job with these learning sites. And so we're pushing parents there if need be. If you're saying, hey, I got to work. I don't trust them being at home. Hey, we have a church, one of the churches. Um, uh, uh, the Recess Center is three minutes from our school. And they have a learning site. They're taking 40 kids. If you go a little further the other way, New Direction Church, about 15 minutes, it's taking another 40 kids. So within a 20-minute radius, you have an option of two different locations to send your students. And so we're pushing them there because we need students logged on. And so uh, attendance is the thing that I think that keeps me up at night. Um, I do not want to see our attendance rate drop. I want to see kids on on learning. And I want to make sure that those people are working. And so we, we strategize in our leadership team meeting about how we can improve attendance. I'm not the biggest fan on incentives, but I'll do it if I have to, whether it's Summit Bucks virtually or or gift cards for parents. But I think our parents know, and all parents know, the best way your students are gonna learn if they're in school. And I think that's the biggest incentive, um, their kids getting, getting a quality education. And so um, we, we our big thing is we deploy, we deploy staff. And it's all hands on deck with attendance. And that includes myself and Tina and Kyle um, and everybody else uh, to make sure if we need to make calls as well. So. Curious to hear uh, how you guys are approaching the tennis as well and what that policy is like at Paramount. Yeah, just some quick commentary on the tenants. I think that we're going to see in Indiana this year, which is probably more unfortunate than fortunate, is we'll see a, a large population, maybe 50, 60 percent of our uh, schools, um, right around 100 percent attendance for the year. Um, because you simply can do that if you're not paying attention and you're just taking it for granted. And yeah. and that's that's maybe saying uh, you know, a negative cast against the state of Indiana. But I think it's very tempting mm -hmm. to mark everybody president when you've got virtual learning going on. And, yeah. I, and I just hope that that's not happening. Uh, I know it's going to, but we get measured on attendance, you know, by our authorizer, by the state. You know, there's metrics there that, that we should pay attention to. And like you said, David, it's it's not a flippant thing. Attendance is the future of that child. Their, their ability to learn and grow is dependent on them getting an education. And so, you know, you, you can't you can't put a high enough priority on it. But I'll pass it up to Jess for, for how we track some of this and what we do on it. Yeah, so for our Indiana folks, I think one of the challenges at the very beginning of the school year was trying to navigate all of the different attendance codes that changed on us at the beginning of the year and knowing when to use which code and when to, you know, so, you know, right now, making sure that we're using the V-COVID and that all the teachers know what that means. And then, you know, when we do get to go back, you know, what do we switch back to? And when, you know, kids get sent home, what do we switch to? And so just making sure everybody's, you know, communicated what that plan looks like has been a big priority on the operations front for us. And then also just making sure that we have an attendance policy that reflects our culture and our values, kind of what you and Tommy just spoke about. Um, so, you know, when do teachers take attendance? What platform? Is it the same one as on campus? Is it the same way as if they were on campus? And then, the, I mean, really the big one, the big ethical question is what counts as present? And defining that for your school and making sure everyone in the school community, you know, families, kids, they all know that. If you're saying that your student needs to, 
log in and watch a video before noon every day. Parents need to know that. They need to know if they can't do that, where to call, who to call, to make sure that they don't miss anything and that they are being counted if they're doing the work at a different time. Um, you know, and then also some of the some of the other things we've been strategizing around, like what measures are in place to reduce the number of excessive absentee cases. I'm going to ask Darius to talk about that in just a second. But then also, how do you uphold existing failure to ensure and truancy policies? Because a lot of that gets done on campus through our discipline and our mentoring and our counseling programs. Or how do you do that if you can't reach kids? And so really just just brainstorming around, you know, making sure that we're holding people accountable, but we're supporting them in that process. So Darius, I'd love to talk about, or love you to talk about what the school does to, to make sure that kids are actually in the building or not in the building on, on the platform. Okay, yeah. Um, you know, well, first I, I think is, you know, and one quick way we take attendance. And again, I think Jess hit the, nail right on the head is just defining it at the local level because you will have some people which i think is awesome uh david that you're doing at tenley like that has like the highest bar that i've heard when it comes to virtual attendance and you will you have other schools who are um you know just marking 100 percent because they can like tommy said um so again just just defining it for your school and, and rolling with it uh one thing that we do um is just you know just trying to initially get that engagement for their kid on the uh, top of the morning. And that look, typically looks like a survey. So we might have some classrooms who are asking almost like a question of the day. And that question of the day is just on the Google Classroom. And it's kind of like a morning bell ringer. Might from what is your favorite color? How are you feeling today? So it could be a simple answer. Or it could be an open, uh, open-ended question. Um, or them just like going in and just filling out their name. And that's just the, the, the quickest way to just mark the engagement of that kid um to mark them present but then after that you know there's a lot of kids we're hoping that the majority if not 100 percent of kids engage that way uh, for their attendance post that there are kids who just don't do that or forget um, that that is an option for them uh, so then we're going instantly to that engagement tracker to see um what kids did work because obviously once you do work and we can you know count you as engaged and count you present uh, so that we go into those assignment trackers to see who is scoring uh, ones on that assignment tracker to mark them present um, and mark them as engaged, which is awesome. And a lot of times in a good way, it's affirming that the kids who are answering the question of the day are the same students who are engaging and getting ones on their assignments uh, so we can mark them present. So it's just a, it's just another uh, layer, if you will, between the question of the day at the, to start the day, almost like a bell ringer, and then moving on to the actual assignments to just double down on the attendance tracking and the data piece of it all. Uh, but again, like we talked about earlier, for those students who are just not engaged, uh, are we're get, we're looking at those trackers and seeing students who did not engage that day. So we're taking that data and doing those same reminder calls. Like you know, we right now we kind of, kind of have a split up on our discipline team that you know between the dean of students and the guidance counselor, the two members of our family outreach team. Uh, we're a four grade school, so they each kind of have a grade and they're seeing like who was not marked present that day and they're making those initial calls just hey, I'm saying like, hey, your student did not engage in any kind of way today and you know, what do you need from us to, to fix that moving into tomorrow? So uh, I, I think one thing that I always tell the team is you just can't get bored with, with systems, you can't get bored with success. So you just have to you know have your system and just execute it every single day and just continue to execute it to the point where it becomes second nature.
Yeah, I think, uh, and Tommy, you said it. Uh, I, I do feel like schools are going to go the 100% route. Um, but we all know what, what two things correlate, attendance and academic performance. So you can say you had 100% attendance, but if, 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 the, if the data, the academic data doesn't match, there's going to be some questions asked, right? The, either the question is, what type of teaching was happening? Or were these kids really present, right? And so for us, we just didn't want to get in that ballpark. We wanted to be completely transparent. And, and luckily, again, going back to our earlier conversation, I communicated the attendance policy with our parents and asked, were there any questions or concerns? And they all said no, because I know if my kid didn't come to school and I didn't tell you, you would call me then. So I, I expect it now. So again, it was transparent upfront, and they're good with it. And and they know. I mean, they, they also know too, right? That they they know this. We know it's a hard time, but they understand why we're doing it and the why behind it. We're not doing it just to be sticklers. We're doing it because we, we care about your student. And so, um, so folks, we're we're, we're getting close uh, to the two hour point, but we we have three more sections and. We're gonna combine the next two and talk about them. Um, and then we're gonna to get to Q&A. We're gonna kind of do some closing thoughts because we wanna make sure we share some contact information. And then Tommy has some awesome resources that we wanna make sure we share out. Um, just so I wanna name, when this is over, I'm gonna create a, a link that will be on the Tinley Summit podcast, but we'll, it'll be titled uh, Thriving During Virtual Learning. I'm gonna share the link with the Paramount folks. You'll see it on social media. Um, if you can listen to it just like a podcast and then, um, would let you know how you can get those resources and, and where our schedules are. They're on our, our, our website, um, which we'll also share. And you see Paramount is there at the bottom and then we'll share ours. Um, but our next two, we're going to talk about school operations um, during virtual learning and then staffing. So with school operations, you know, how we're navigating uh, relationships with our vendors um, and what that looks like. And then the future of the future use for PPEs and then how we're handling staff uh, absences and PTO and sick days. And so, uh, we're gonna kick it off with the Paramount team to lead that conversation first, and then we'll do it, and then we'll close out with Q and A. Yeah, Jess. Jess is the queen of operations, um, and is really pretty impressive in this department. So happy to have her take off with us. So there have been a lot of different things that we talked about that are going to cost schools a ton of money, and so operations when schools close is actually one of the ways you can save a ton of money, and so. Some of the ways that we're being fiscally responsible right now, since we can't have students in buildings, you know, making sure that there's a pr procedure in place for shutting down a physical building. So everyone knows before you leave your classroom, do these things, turn off your lights, turn off your TVs, make sure your appliances are unplugged. Um, you know, have your ops manager or someone at your school turn your HVAC settings down to the lowest possible for the season. So that's not running when people aren't in there. Um, another one doesn't necessarily save money, but it's going to save you a headache when you get back is making sure there's no food in any of the refrigerators or your classrooms or anywhere because you're going to come back to big surprises that you don't want. Uh, also remembering to send medications home with students and having families sign off that they did pick those medications up is a big one for us. Uh, we also limit how much custodial services we do in our buildings. We always have at least one person a day in buildings just to keep everything refreshed, keep tabs on everything, make sure when we do come back in person that it's going to look just as clean as it was when we left, if not more so. And then another big one is having a process for how you're going to handle mail and cash when you don't have the physical building open. Because if your policies that are in place aren't followed even during a school closure, that'll result in an audit comment. 
And so how are you handling that? Is somebody going through and picking up the mail? How are you doing deposits? Just all of that is something to think about. Uh, vendor relationships. If you have on-site vendors like before and after care or food service, just having conversations with the rep from those companies on what role they'll play during the closure. Uh, at our Brookside campus, we're working with the YMCA to be a learning site for students that can come there. And then also um, we do meal packs every Monday for our families through Aramark. And so we still have those people on site, but it just looks like different than it would if we had kids there. And then also suspending or limiting any unnecessary services. So we're not going to need trash pickup as many times a week as we would if we were on campus. So suspending that, cleaning services, mat services, automated supply orders, anything you're not using when people aren't there, just call your vendor and put it on hold and they do it all the time. So you're gonna save money there. Um, a couple other things, food service and reporting. I don't know, so Indiana folks, again, sorry, this is kind of specific, but you can apply to be an open feeding site just like you could over the summer. So that would mean you could give meal packs to anyone 18 and under, whether they go to your school or not. Um, you just, you know, you go through your S&P rep for that part of it if you need help. Um, and then also if you're handing out meal packs, um, we do five breakfast and lunch every Monday from nine to 10. We take orders from families. We did a, a big call drive to make sure everybody knew that that was an option and they can pick it up and they can, you know, ask for it on a weekly basis. It wasn't a one and done. It's a revolving number. Um, you know, who's going to be on site from your team to oversee and record everything and to make sure everything with DOE is happening the way that it needs to. And then what are, as school leaders, what are we doing to ensure that, you know, all of our Department of Education reports, all of our authorizer reports, all of those you know, really boring things that we have to do to stay open. How, you know, who's doing all of that? How's it all getting done? How are you checking that it's all getting done? So having procedures in place for that. Uh, some of the other things just to think about, um, like Tommy said, you know, we always like to operate that this is just how we're going to live our lives from now on until we don't. And then we'll, we'll go from there. Um, but that brings us to a lot of future need for PPE. And then, you know, how do you, how do you plan for that? And so really, We've scaled out what supplies we would need through the end of the year and anticipate, we're anticipating shortages and really long wait times. You know, we're seeing toilet paper and paper towels not on shelves in grocery stores anymore. That's what it's gonna be like with hand sanitizer and masks for schools. And so how do you ensure you have what you need before it's a, an emergency? Uh, another thing that we did was we upgraded our HVAC systems to MERV 13 filters or higher. Uh, the cost was pretty minimal, it was about $70 a unit, but that's one of the things we did to make sure we're, we're trying to keep the, the air clean and, and people safe. Yeah, uh, doubling this into the staffing thing, just a quick thought um, beyond operations and the staffing is um, we're, we're dealing with some fun issues in absences in virtual instruction. And not many of us have policies for this because you're already home and yet you're going to take a day off and um we have to remember that these are employees who can take pto um, but if they're not going to take pto they need to be on and there needs to be an expectation for how on on really is and so you know what are we telling staff that they're held accountable to if they're in a regular work day working from home versus a pto day and if they're unable to meet those expectations the expectation should then be all right you're going to take a pto day 
But um, I think that gets very gray in this situation. And, and it's something just to tuck in the back of your mind to make sure that you've got a policy for um, sick days in this new environment. And, and there's, there's so much great leeway for being sick with COVID in this environment where your HR team should be able to take great care of your people. But there just needs to be a good policy in place for all of that. Tinley? Yeah, um, and so, so Jen, I, I'll, I'll talk about the operations. Um, Jess, you, you hit on a lot, a lot of things as well. So I, I think the funny thing is I, I went to the school today. And so what we did was we took our, our leadership team and, and basically everyone was assigned a day. So our actual building is open from 8 to 12, Monday through Friday. So that means there's somebody there. So Tina has Monday. I had today. Um, our dean has tomorrow. AP has uh, our accounts has Thursday and then our um, our AP has Friday. And so there'll be somebody in our building. And so it's just, it's one person. And so for that things like, like the mail and, and where our office manager who's not in the building, she has the phone routed to her, to where she's at. And so we don't have to answer the phone. Tina knows, thank goodness, because it rings off the hook, but we can check the mail um, and, and, and check classroom. But Tina knows before we left, uh, I didn't let teachers walk out the building until I checked their classroom. It was kind of like the end of the school year. So they put their desk, uh, the chairs on top of their desk. We cleaned out scholar towers. Um, and CSACs, to just to your point, we're in an old IPS building. And four years ago when we moved in, we had some little friends that spent the school year with us, and we do not want to do that again. So we cleared out the vending machines and, and, and refrigerators and things like that. And and I don't know about you, I went in the building today, and I was cold. And it made sense why I was cold in the building because, you know, things aren't on. And so we went through that process to make sure we closed the building as though we were finishing the school year. And so the teachers was like, why are we doing this? And I said, well, we're not going to be here for five weeks. And so I need to, your smart board has to be turned off. Your key computer has to be turned off. Turn your light off. Even the light over your scholar tower. We have random lights over this one switch and that needs to be turned off. And the bathroom lights are turned off. And because we just want to have the extra cost to your point, because we know that we're going to need some of this money to purchase more uh, PPEs. And so we're also doing meals. And so what parents can do is they can fill out a, a, a spreadsheet um, it, it goes live on Fridays at 5 p.m. and it closes uh, Sunday at 9 p.m. And so they can fill it out and then they can pick up meals Monday and Tuesday between 9 and 12 at our school. And so it gives them five breakfasts and five lunch uh, that they can pick up. And so we, we went this route to just offer meals to our current families. But, uh, you know, in the summer and last year, we did open it up to the community. But this year we're just opening it up to our families. And so we've had families take advantage of that. And so that allows for our, our lunch crew uh, to still be a part of that. Um, our cleaning staff citywide did a great job during the school year. So we did have two day porters, uh, Miss Alma and Miss Brenda, who kept our schools safe and clean. And, and it's part of the reason why I believe we were able to keep everybody safe because they were constantly disinfecting things. And so um, during this time, you know, they, they, they come in probably to just empty the trash once or twice a week because there's not many folks in there. And then um, there's a night porter that probably just comes to just double check the building to make sure things are clean because, you know, when we do hopefully open up, we want to make sure that the school is, is open ready. Um, and all we have to do is take desks off the chairs or off the tables and put together CSACs. Um, again, with the future use for PPEs, we try to, to budget out uh, for beginning of the school year, but we also had to, to try to be resourceful during this time, like we would do in our home. And so we taught our students, you know, if you use the hand sanitizer, you know, it's, it's one, one squirt. You don't need six of them, you know, one squirt so we can save them. Uh, the mask, we, we, we got trying to get reusable masks and talk to our families about, hey, you know, um, wash the mask, you know, each day. You can hand wash, you put it in the dryer. But if you can get your student 
a mask per day. Uh, then they can switch it out. Then on the weekend, you can wash them and have those again. Uh, but we also have those at the school that we use. We try not to use them. We hope kids come with them. And, you know, some days are better than others. I think Monday's the worst day for kids having masks because it's after the weekend. And then as the week goes on, it got better. So uh, while we do have a stash of masks available, we, um, as you know, like um, that can go through that, that, that very quickly. And so we, we want to make sure we stay on top of that. But um, our big thing now is, is keeping the building clean and making sure that um, when we do open that the building is ready. But to your point, um, we made sure we cleared out all our deposits in our safe to make sure we balanced those and got that that uh, squared away. And the big thing now is making sure we get the mail because there is a lot of timely things, uh, things being sent back because uh, we did have to mail some things out because we, we had some kids that didn't come to school um, on the last couple of days. And so they missed the pickup. So we had to mail some things out. So. Um, we're still, our building's still open again from that, that limited time. Our teachers are teaching from home, but I had two teachers today that was in the building just because their roommates are also teaching virtually and everyone can't pull on the Wi-Fi. So, but I told them, Hey, when you finish, turn your computer off, turn your light off, um, and different things like that. And so to the staffing piece, uh, you said it best. I think our HR department, we have a protocol for if teachers get sick, but, um, you're at home. And so unless you're sick and unable to <laughs> teach. Um, if, if you're if you're looking bad, then just say, hey, Salas, I'm teaching today with my camera off, but I'm here. And so uh, I think now uh, not being at work, uh, it, it, you need to be on bed rest. Uh, we have a teacher, and I know she won't mind me saying this, who's pregnant on bed rest, and she's still teaching. So uh, I'm not really sure if anybody else has an excuse, and that would be uh, Ms. Hogan, our teacher leader. She is pregnant on bed rest. And she's still teaching every day and writing Facebook posts. And so it's just when you have teachers that are doing that, I think everyone's saying, OK, that's the that's the mentality. But again, we are we are um, aware and, and empathetic to, you know, if people getting sick and other things like that. But you just have to report it like you would do um, if we were in the building. So I think, uh, well, Tommy, did you want to talk about some of the resources uh, or do you want to kind of go? Because I did have a question for one of my parents that I wanted to get to, and then we kind of do closing thoughts. How do you want to close this out? Yeah, let me just name the resources yeah. so folks who are listening know what's coming, because we'll put the links out. Um, we have a shared Google Drive where we've been collecting resources from others and sharing the resources that we use. It's not hyper-organized, but we've just been dumping in there. So you can go in and you can dig around, and, and there's some nuggets in there that are great, everything from staff incentives to engagement and attendance trackers. It's all there. Um, the other thing is the National Center for Special Education and Charter Schools, NICSIX. Um, we'll have some links to them, their top 10 resources. They're an amazing resource for supporting special education, especially through COVID. Um, and then um, out of New York City through Brooklyn Lab Schools, educatingalllearners.org is just an amazing site. They've spent a lot of time putting together resources that can be shared nationally. So we'll have all those links for you. So with our closing thoughts, um, I think we'll we'll definitely close with maybe each individual person will um, say something about why we do this. And, and as they speak, I'll put their uh, email up for you to contact them. But uh, I also want us to each talk about, uh, maybe Tommy, me, you can do it or, or whoever, the implications beyond uh, 2021 and so um, what that looks like. And so I think, honestly, uh, the first thing is we know, uh, as we talked about, there was a summer loss and there's going to be what we call a COVID loss uh, with, with lost learning. But I do want to frame and give folks a different mindset. While I do understand that there will be an academic loss um, when you talk about ELA and math, I do want to celebrate 
Let's talk about the skills that kids are being able to get. And one of those is this. I have fourth graders going in their email and emailing their teacher a question about an assignment. Now, when I was in fourth grade, um, couldn't email. I don't think I really used email effectively until college. But we have fourth graders who are logging into their emails, typing their teacher name in, creating the subject and putting a body and sending an email. Like that to me, while we are maybe losing something when it comes to ELA standards and math standards for Common Core, the skills that our kids are getting, the technology literate is something that we should celebrate and we should heighten up um, and, and, and talk about more. And so we're all working to closing the gaps. Um, I think the biggest question for our Indiana folks and maybe some folks around the country is, you know, what about assessments? Uh, we did have our fourth graders um, take the I-read solely because of the data, right? Um, it's like when you go to the doctor, I get my, my, my blood pressure checked because I want to know the <laughs> want to know what it is. It wasn't punitive. Uh, it wasn't like, well, you know what? You didn't pass. You're going back to third. We just needed to know the data because we didn't get that option. And I think if we frame our mindset about data that way, whether it's in person, if you create your own in-house assessments, I think we have to do some form of assessment to gauge where students are, not just benchmarks periodically, but at the end of the year as well. So I don't really know what we're going to do as a network or honestly what our state's going to do. We did, uh, my governor did just elect a, or appoint uh, a new secretary of education for our city that's new. Um, and so I'm sure the, the DOE, as they're talking about ADF framework, is probably going to talk about that. But um, I think there has to be some way where you gauge student achievement um, and, and so you can have a plan. Otherwise, you're shooting in the dark and, and we've done that for too long. And so uh, those will be my thoughts and so interested to hear from Paramount, you know, what you guys are thinking for implications uh, moving forward. Yeah, you, you stole my thunder with your doctor argument. I've, that was almost word for word the analogy I was going to make. So I'm just going to try to one up it <laughs> and say that um, if, if a child breaks a bone and the parent looks at the child and says, you know what, taking you to the emergency room right now would just stress you out too much. You've already had this traumatic incident. So let's just sit down on the couch for a while and chill. <laughs> and we'll deal with other stuff later. Exactly. That's, that's the thought for a, a lot of people right now on assessments. That child needs to go immediately to the emergency room, get assessed, mm -hmm. because the child has an immediate trauma. That trauma needs figured out. Like we need to get to the exact standard that's broken there, the exact bone that's broken, apply the right fix to it so the child can heal successfully and get through it. I mean, that's the whole purpose behind data. That's exactly your yeah. doctor's thing, too. It's like yeah. when there's a bad problem, you need to diagnose it. And data-driven learning is all about diagnosing the problem. And there's never been a more important time to assess a child than, than now. Absolutely. Like we really have to, we really have to jump on this. And you know, we can't be scared to over-traumatize a traumatized situation. Yes, it's traumatized. Let's get to the bottom of it. Let's apply SEL supports, but let's get right in and find where the standards are we can start addressing them so we don't lose the child through the process. Um, other implications, I think that as we look into the crystal ball, um, we need to be prepared to stay in virtual learning through May. Mm -hmm. um, I think that there's a really good chance we come out before then. I've even heard rumors um, as early as today saying that we could pop out K-5 in the very near future, completely unsubstantiated, but there's, there's a <laughs> lot of speculation. Um, but we can't speculate on the possibility of change. Mm -hmm. We can only speculate on the possibility of staying exactly how we are. That's the only safe play right now is saying that this is going to go for the rest of the school year, so let's tackle it like that's going to happen. I do feel, looking in the crystal ball, very confident that we'll be back in schools on campus in the fall. Um, I feel like we see enough trending data in 
vaccine and politics that that I think we're going to get there. What it looks like when we get there won't be diff won't be the same. Um, I think it'll be better. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we've learned a ton. I think we've pushed the technology envelope, the tech literacy envelope, and we've advanced education in the U.S. through the pandemic. It's a, it's a fortunate side effect of a really bad situation. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't say I'm thankful for the pandemic in any way, but I do think that we'll see some great gains in tech literacy and tech supports for children. Um, and Kyle, if you wouldn't mind touching on just real quick, because we're really late, um, to mm -hmm. sum up real quick, we, we, you know, we did a pre-test, post-test model in the fourth quarter last year through COVID with Edge Elastic, and we were able to show some things. And, and we know we're going to be dealing with some gaps, but I think Kyle can articulate that a little bit. Yeah, so we got together as a leadership team probably in uh, mid-March, and we talked about what can we do to um, accurately gauge growth from beginning of virtual learning in late March all the way until the end of the year in May. Uh, we developed a test along with our, um, our, our site-level teams that mirrored iLearn. In the absence of iLearn, our students were taking a test that uh, was based on the iLearn blueprints in ELA and math. It was rigorous. It was high depth of knowledge. It included writing performance tasks, um, technology-enhanced items that you would see on the assessment, and again, the blueprints aligned to the, to the assessment itself. Um, it was really neat um, and advantageous to us in two ways. One, it showed that we were able to show some pretty solid growth um, especially in math, but even in ELA, um, from beginning of uh, e-learning to the end with eight-week window. The other thing we did was we did a standard deep dive into um, how our students perform within each power standard. That helped us launch this year of instruction in terms of um, putting together our yearly curriculum maps and putting in our putting our kids in the best position to be successful by breaking down what standards we were strong in and what standards we needed to emphasize a little bit more heading into this school year. So uh, we were really excited with the results. And I think we, to echo what Tommy said, we need to continue to stay um, with our finger on the pulse of, of student data. Uh, there's never been a more important time. And we need to remember, um, we're dealing with two two factions here. If, if this was purely a virtual school for parents, like I mentioned earlier, then we'd have a lot of parents ready to support their child through this mm -hmm. process. But because it's being forced on our parent population and our school populations, there's always going to be a percentage that isn't prepared to deal with this, didn't want to deal with this, is uncomfortable dealing with this. And so some of our truths going forward is that we're going to create percentage-based gaps on these families who don't have the capacity or desire to support virtual instruction from the home. So I think we're generating larger academic gaps between our virtual students right now and our on-campus students prior than you would see even in a regular on-campus scenario where you've got families maybe with a child in a virtual school and a child in an on-campus situation. Because in a regular society without pandemic, you have parents who want their kids in that virtual site. So we have to accept that there's gonna be academic trauma and be ready to deal with that and be able to ramp up from a data-driven perspective when we come out of it. Absolutely. So folks, um, again, thank you for joining us. As we close out, I wanna give each person an opportunity, uh, 20, 30 seconds to just do closing thoughts. Um, for those still watching, I'm gonna put up as they talk, the solo screen and their email address. And then those that are listening, we'll, we'll say our email addresses, but we'll share this out. Um, I'm encouraging those that um, are listening to this live and maybe listen to this later, share this. Uh, there's some, a lot of great resources. Again, we put our, our each of our websites on there and, and we'll share that when we share this link out. Um, so I, I mean, I'll start it first since I'm, I'm going. Uh, if you want to contact me, it's at mcguire at tinley.org. 
Uh, I just, I leave with what I always tell my staff, you know, we, we always ask a simple question of, of how are the children and the children are well, the nation will prosper. And all this is about making sure that the children are well. Um, and so I encourage everyone to, to, to let's focus on the, the children and, and who need to receive the education, but approach it with um, a bit of grace, um, some patience and some empathy. And, and we'll, we'll all get through this together. Uh, Tina, if you want to give some closing thoughts, Ness, and I'll put up your, oh, I'm sorry. It's McGuire at Tinley.org, M-C-G-U-I-R-E at Tinley.org. Yeah, I think, um, I think my biggest thing is I'm very, I'm very passionate about education and sp specifically uh, the foundation of education. And I, I hear a lot of, um, we immediately when we go virtual, we have parents saying, well, you can't retain my kid because we went virtual, but um, we have worked very hard to make sure that our kids have everything they need to continue schooling. And because we continued with our curriculum to provide that foundation, um, while we do have grace and empathy for um every situation, we also have very high expectations for our kids and our families. And the only way that this is, is successful is with all of us working together, the parent, the teacher, the child, the administration, it takes all of us. And so um, we need the kids online. So that's the, that's the parent piece. Our teachers are working so hard. I'm so proud of um, the staff at Tinley Summit I think I say it to Mr. McGuire every day, just um, how in awe I am of them and, and our scholars, the ones that are getting on are doing such an amazing job and just rolling with the punches. And so um, I just want us to keep moving forward like we were in school, those, those high expectations um, and that kids are learning. Who wants to go next from the parent art group? I'll get you going. Yeah, I'll, I'll go next. Yeah, I just, uh, first off, I want to thank uh, David and the whole Tinley team, Dr. Metcalf. Um, I think what's prominently amazing with what we've just witnessed, if you've gone through this whole thing with us tonight, or if you're listening to this later as a recording, is the collaborative component here. Uh, we tend to build silos around ourselves, um, and those silos stop us from sharing best practices, stop us from helping others in the field, from lifting others up who might be struggling in areas that we had no idea. Uh, there just isn't a good um, model in place for something like this to happen and keep happening. And it's it's a real break in our sector. It's not only a break between charter schools and traditional public schools or private schools and charter schools. It's, it's a break even between charter schools in the same city that aren't talking and collaborating and sharing and public schools in the same city. Like We have a sector that refuses to learn from itself and it slows everything down. And, and the common denominator of of hurt there is the kids. So the more we can talk like this and share like this, the more excited I get. This is one of the cooler things I've ever done in education because of how collaborative it's been and how much information we threw into a two hour conversation. So uh, big thanks to everybody. Who wants to go next? I'm happy to jump in and, and David and Tina uh, just want to shout you two out specifically. It was awesome to be on with you tonight and you're two solutions based leaders and that's what kids and staff need during times like this. So just awesome being on with you guys tonight, you, you both. Um, in terms of uh, takeaways, um, lots to glean from this, uh, from, from the Tinley side and certainly we hope from the Paramount side, uh, folks got some things they can take away and integrate into their own systems. 
Um, we're excited about how we're pushing forward and moving forward. And certainly with the collaboration that we've had with, with Tina Lee tonight as well, I'll leave with this, uh, you know, it's something I continue to say over and over. It's during this time, this can be awfully isolating uh, to, to teachers, to, to students and to, and to families uh, intervene early, intervene often, I think is, is the most important takeaway um, I can get, I can give tonight. I think it's important that we, we continue to communicate effectively and purposely with all stakeholders through this process to, 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 to get us all through it. So intervening early and often with all stakeholders, teachers, students, families is the most important thing. And I just really enjoyed the evening. Just. So I always like to look for the positives anytime we have something that's really negative. And so one of the great outcomes of this pandemic has been how school leaders from across the state have worked together to do what's best for kids and teachers. It looks different at each of our school sites, but we're all working towards the same goal and we're all helping each other get there. Um, so we've really gained a support system. I feel like that we didn't have prior to this. And then another win is just the amount of self-regulation our students have shown through this process. Um, I have an eight-year-old and this was definitely not the case prior to him being in virtual learning, but he gets himself up, he gets ready for his day, he logs into his platform, he's in charge of his own schedule, asks for help when it's needed. And those are job skills. And so those are a lot of things that our kids wouldn't be able to necessarily acquire given the platform that they were currently in, in on-campus learning. So. Another great outcome of this is our kids are ready to be able to self-regulate their workload in a way that's effective for them. And Darius. Yeah, definitely. When I, when I think about just uh, closing words, this is something that Paramount Schools of Excellence across all three schools has truly adopted is um, just adopting a mantra. And our mantra right now is just is don't flinch. And I think that's so important, not only for staff, I'm um, just again, going day in and day out and being flexible and, you know, just truly embracing the the, the, the role that you play in the system at your school, um, but also for, for students and for parents, it, you know, we all are gonna to continue to be flexible. So the more and more that we just embrace our flexibility and not flinch at our current circumstance, just the better we'll be coming out of the situation. That is awesome. And again, folks, I uh, want to thank everyone again for tuning in. Again, we'll share this recording. Um, it's been an honor and a privilege uh, to collaborate with the Paramount team. Uh, I know we're going to still collaborate and share resources. We hope that those that listen, that you reach out to us and you join the collaboration with us. I'm going to share some resources tomorrow uh, with Tommy to drop in that um, online thing and some things that we're doing that we touched on, scheduling and different things like that, just so folks can have varieties and options. But it's been a great evening. Um, everyone take care. Um, and and, and uh, we'll get through this together.